away from that. Why? Poison ivy. It'll put you in the infirmary for days. Welcome to Night of the Living Geeks. If you geek out over it, we've got a podcast for you. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of If Memory Serves here on the Night of the Living Geeks Network. I'm Taylor and with me as he is every month when we wander back through the hazy halls of our memories growing up in the Bay Area in the 80s and 90s. This time around, he is the blue team to my gray team. It's my brother, Seb. Seb, how's it going? It's going great, man. It's great to talk to you this evening. How you doing? I'm uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Fighting some allergy stuff, but that's kind of par for the course for me this time of year. Mm. Um, you know, we made it through Thanksgiving. We, we had you guys all over, celebrated a year now of when we first came up with the idea for this podcast. Wow, one year old. That's amazing. I know. We we might be teething soon. I think we're still in diapers, though. <laughs> um, oh, the life of being a dad. Um, yeah. You, geez, man. Diving into the Christmas season here. How are you doing? You putting up uh, tinsel at the apartment? Yeah, I got, you know, got some Christmas cards together that I sent out this year. Yeah, um, we got it. We got it. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, you know, trying to get in the Christmas spirit. Uh, can't wait to see all you guys for the holidays. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think we should look, and I didn't think we were going to have anything uh, to talk about this time, but. Previously on. Previously on. Previously on. If memory serves. What did you find, Seb? Well, uh, as our listeners will know, we uh, recently had a uh, Halloween episode. I think two episodes ago was our Halloween episode. Um, and I was at our parents' house last weekend uh, for Thanksgiving. And was shocked and delighted to find the actual audio cassette tape from 1990 that we had that has Halloween spooky sound effects that we would play uh, while handing out candy. That's so crazy. You were texting oh. me about this and I'm like, wait, oh. what? You found what? I was so excited. And I was really confused because the cassette tape case had a lot of your handwriting on it and mentioned things like Back to the Future and ZZ Top. So I was really getting excited maybe... We had used that tape to record, like, you know, um, oh, who knows, all sorts of great songs that might have been some sort of weird Halloween mashup, you know. <laughs> um, and the best thing was, you know, amongst all the uh, typical uh, creaking and groaning and organ pipe music that you would expect on a Halloween cassette, there was what I am almost certain is the sound of people counting chains or rolling pennies. I suspect trying to imitate the sounds of chains dragging. But it was just a wonderful, wonderful, uh, weird, quirky edition. Um, I never thought. Yeah, I never think cash registers when I think uh, Halloween. So that's oh, a, I, I that's think a the new folks one. The, at the spirit store tend to. <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, yeah, that I, I'd love to see that sometime. That's oh, totally. I, what blows me away is that for for as long as we've been out of the house, and as long as you know, mom has more or less occupied her old room. Um, with a lot of her stuff, I'm blown away that stuff is still being found. It's like it's like King there. Cut's tomb. It's an archaeological treasure. Every it time I move something, is. something pops up. Oh, it's so nice. And for all we know, aliens uh, helped build that pure room. 
No. Anyway. <laughs> Good heavens. Okay. Good heavens. You know, it's funny. Speaking of um, audio cassettes and stuff, it's, I feel like we have like an audio cassette section every episode. I um, mm. just whatever got a little uh, be in my bonded about uh, kind of doing a little bit of research on um, some of the people behind the wave sliders uh, cassette, the Surfrider Foundation um, album from oh, yeah. about 1990 that I I still have like my or original cassette uh, from back in the day. Um, and while I was doing that, I came across a couple of albums that were also um, benefits for the Surfrider Foundation uh, from more into the 90s that I had completely forgot that I owned on CD um uh called music for our mother ocean um and the, i guess they wound up doing mm. three albums of that i had the first two um but they're all on spotify so i'm just like spent the rest of the week at work just listening to them on repeat oh cool yeah in fact i even made a point of tweeting at surfrider foundation being like hey guys i think i think we're due for wave sliders too i think you need to get some of the current <laughs> surfing talent out there to get behind the mic <laughs> and I think you guys still need to release it on cassette because I still have my original one, and they liked it, so I'm 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 cool with that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, right. Oh, totally. Oh man. Well, should we take a look at what's going on in the news? And ABC News Brief brought to you by Budweiser Beer. Stay with us. The late edition is next. Well, <clears throat> we have a whole month worth of news to catch up on here, and and um, first a little bit of sad news. Uh, Mario Siegel, the namesake of Nintendo's Mario, has passed away at the age of 84. What? Yep. Are you serious? Yeah. Mario was actually named after, um, well, he was a real estate developer, amongst other things. In fact, he was <laughs> uh, renting a warehouse in Washington State to Nintendo of America in 1981. Okay. And so, um, you know, in Japan, Mario was originally called Jumpman. Okay. And his girlfriend, Lady. That's the funny thing, mm. right? We remember them right. from Donkey Kong. Um, but Nintendo wanted proper names for the characters, so they, they named the hero after their landlord. As uh, you do. Yeah, as you do, right? <clears throat> and uh, the lady became Pauline after a Nintendo of America employee's wife. Wow. Who probably didn't get any sort of kickbacks for, for the naming. That's still pretty cool, though. I mean, you're yeah. kind of like worldwide famous in a way, you know, for well, not really having done anything. And what, what's funny is that, you know, as time went on, um, he he really, he didn't like seek notoriety being like, oh, yeah, I'm that Mario. <laughs> um, he just kind of was like, you know, yeah, that was that was me. But I'm doing these things you <laughs> That's know, cool. over here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what probably would have also made a really neat topic for, for our December episode would be Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Uh, a classic. Yes. A total classic. Uh, some of Jim Henson stuff at its best, <clears throat> but this year they are releasing the Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas visual soundtrack. Okay. Um, so it is, um, it's out now. It came out on November 23rd. Um, and um, it's it's the album 
I mean, it literally is all the the Paul Williams stuff you love from um, that show. And it's it's not only on CD. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the article here. You have to wait. If you want it on vinyl, you'd have to wait until November 23rd. It's actually available before then, which is before now anyway on mm. stuff like spotify and apple music and itunes and if you wanted it on cd so it is out there folks go check it out we will have show notes uh with links for you to check out oh that's wonderful i know that that really is a classic that's one of those ones like movie night tonight we watched some grinch stuff like mm-hmm. you know original grinch none of this like remake live action any you know yeah yeah none of that stuff um but emmett otter i mean like i've got to find that somewhere i think the kids would dig that oh totally well so do you remember a movie we probably rented it at curtis mathis a few times called the explorers yeah i watched it just a couple months ago on television god classic film and it was on television yeah it's on it's on my comcast what oh like on demand um, sometimes it's on demand. Sometimes it's just being shown on like Stars or Encore or one of those oh, channels. Okay. Yeah, I, I was going to ask. But it's a what classic film. Is. Of course it is. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. No, this I thing, mean uh, I remember River Phoenix this so well. Right, River Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Also, um, uh, 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 the other guy, <laughs> the Ethan, other... Ethan Hawke. Ethan yes. Hawke. Yes, Ethan Hawk. the young Ethan Hawke. Um, I think it's. I think it might be directed by uh, Joe Dante, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think um, so. And, yes, uh, yes. you know, it's about kids that basically build a spacecraft and go off in outer space and meet aliens, I guess. Yeah, because uh, why not build a spacecraft out of, like, stuff you find in a junkyard? Like a garbage can and... And, like, one oh, of those, yeah. um... Oh, they spin around at the county fair. Uh, yeah. Things. Yeah, like a, a tilt-a-whirl. Yeah, tilt-a-whirl, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Thank you, yeah. wow. Jeez, Great movie. Benadryl in my system. Well, um... <laughs> The uh, uh, entertainment magazine Deadline reports that a uh, TV pilot script for Explorers based on the film is in the works. Interesting. Very interesting. I'd be I'd be really, you know, I think the most interested uh, aspect I'd be interested in would be like, uh, is it set in modern times? Is it set in the 80s or how do they get? Uh, Well, I'd be curious because, you know, it. you know, with the success of like Stranger Things and mm-hmm. stuff, I think you could very easily keep it set in the eighties um, and kind of uh, you know feed off that vibe that we already have mm. from shows like Stranger Things and and um, kind of build up that world a little bit. I think if you were to have it today, mm-hmm. I think if you, you were to have it set in you know in twenty eighteen, it wouldn't have necessarily um i don't think it would have necessarily the same impact i mean the technology is so different mm-hmm. that it almost would be and like what you're gonna build a spaceship but you know your phone's got more processing power than what you're building right right you know yeah so i don't know that'll be something to uh watch for in the future I hope it happens. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Yeah, I am too. That'd be really curious. Um, well, speaking of cassette decks, speaking of Christmas, um, 
a company named Crossley is bringing back retro cassette decks. <laughs> um, and these are the same people who made that cheap turntable you probably bought down at Target. Um, they're neat. They are neat looking cassette players. Uh, they've also got radios built in. One of them can even pick up shortwave, which I'm kind of fascinated by. Hmm. Um, you know, but it's a single deck, uh, stand up unit with an antenna, everything. Nice big chunky buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, on the top, um, and one of them has even got one of those. Um, oh gosh, a, a, a VU meter. Oh, so okay. that'll you know, as it gets louder, you know, swing more to the right. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, it, it, what's what's crazy is that you know the 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 smaller of the two models is the one that gets shortwave, and it's sixty bucks. And then the um, the more expensive, the $70 model, uh, skips those features, but it adds treble and bass styles. It, this is the one with the VU meter. Uh, meter. Mooter? Mm-hmm. Wow. Boy, you'd think I was on uh, allergy meds today or something. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for 60 or 70 bucks, you know, if you've got a bunch of tapes or you're looking to kind of get back into them kind of like we have, um this might be a good thing for you if you if you don't want to go cruising like craigslist or ebay looking for like a legit uh 80s or 90s boombox. well i'll tell you as a uh, avid rider of public transit in the fine city of sacramento california <laughs> uh, a very popular pastime is for people to play music very loud on the light rail trains with their smartphones and yes. i would love to purchase one of these and just plop an old cassette tape in and join on join in the fun so and, to speak and and bump the jams exactly exactly so that's uh, right I'll, I'll i'll we'll get you an mc hammer cassette <laughs> right right oh man uh, yeah people it's come on man get headphones headphones don't cost a lot <laughs> they probably came with your phone <laughs> oh well maybe i just keep headphones in because i don't want people hearing what i'm listening to because it's often podcasts <laughs> on really weird topics <laughs> i love it um well Lastly tonight, um, I think a number of months ago, we had reported that a uh, reboot of the TV series ALF was being explored. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I really wasn't sure how that was going to go over, uh, you know, 30 years later. But I can report that uh, the proposed reboot of ALF is officially dead. Wow. Yeah. Geez, how do you feel about this? Yeah, um, honestly, I think it's good. Oh, okay. I, I don't think that trying to reboot or resurrect Alf uh, was going to go over well. Would you agree with me that the Alf television show was far superior than the animated series when he was on the home planet Melmac? <laughs> I don't know if you remember I, I the animated so. series. I Yeah, the animated series just left me cold i don't know i just didn't do anything for me yeah you know there, there's some stuff that just it, it i don't know it doesn't translate over quite as well to the animated yeah. medium like i mean mm-hmm. you know the real ghostbusters was good but it wasn't the ghostbusters movie well you know i mean did we have an elf doll yes children do yes, you remember did. yeah i don't we did did we i'm we pretty did. sure we did wow okay okay that's awesome that may have Very eventually cool. gone back to melmac <laughs> right it's under the house somewhere <laughs> oh god possibly possibly missing in action 
Yes. Uh. Very much missing in action. Uh, oh man. Yeah. Rest in peace. So Taylor, Alfred. what what uh what what are we uh so what's what are we talking about tonight on the If Memory Serves podcast? Yeah, well This time on If Memory Serves. Our episode thirteen, our review of the TV movie Poison Ivy and our celebratory first anniversary show. Woo! Yeah, I know. Pop pop some champagne or something. Not to mention first anniversary is that like silver or paper or um i'm honestly not sure my first day, my first wedding anniversary was way too long ago uh moonlighting cassettes i'm gonna say it's poison ivy sure poison ivy is the theme of a first wedding anniversary i'm yeah, gonna decree this yeah uh, calamine lotion just rub it all over each other it's it's sexy right uh anyway or not moving on um so okay um if you're listening to this, uh, one, thank you. And two, um, in the show notes, out on Twitter, out on Facebook, I'm going to push out the uh, link to watch this movie on YouTube. Um, it's not the Drew Barrymore and somebody else 1992 movie. This is a 1985 NBC made-for-TV movie, which first aired on February 10th, 1985. Um, and the link that uh, we'll have out there for you to watch, because if you have no idea the movie that we're talking about, this episode is not going to make a lot of sense to you, and I totally encourage you to go and watch it and then come back and listen to this episode. Um, but the YouTube link that that you're going to have to watch this is excellent because it is from the original air date. Um, it still has the commercials in it. Um, it's it's just kind of a delight to watch from beginning to end. Definitely. I think it was recorded out of a Tampa NBC affiliate. Um, yes. And uh, it, it just captures the flavor of that time. And Poison Ivy, it's a film that... Um, as you might hear tonight, wasn't necessarily the best reviewed film or the most beloved film. In fact, I'm not sure if it's ever even technically been released on DVD, let alone Blu-ray or anything like that. I'm not even sure How, if it made it to VHS without us taping it. Right. Um, but I do have to say, and Taylor, I think you'd have to agree with me that even if it wasn't the world's best film, it was arguably one of the most memorable films that we grew up with because after watching it again for the first time in 30 years there were so many things that you and i it, we just remembered the lines and we remembered the scenes and totally. it was just crystal clear again it um, was remarkable how much of this movie kind of came back and how quickly it came back and the, um not just the lines but the timing Mm-hmm. of the lines you know mm-hmm. they'd start something and i'd be like okay pause and then there's this 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 and it's like oh my god wow mm-hmm. um but it's kind of funny because um after having not watched it in yeah about 30 years watching it twice in just this month in order to prepare mm-hmm. for this episode um you know there are definitely parts of this movie that i look at with a much more um I don't know, modern sensibility going like you can never get away with this. Oh, right. That's the charm, I think. And I I think that is. And I think that's the charm of a lot of stuff from the 80s is that there's just no way that it would it would fly today. 
How would you how would you kind of summarize maybe a little bit of the plot of the film to our, some of our listeners maybe who haven't had the delight of seeing it? Um, um boy. Um Poison Ivy is in the vein of um every summer camp um somewhat like randy rom-com meets general hijinks um type of movie you know it's 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 that one that's got particular character tropes uh that you'll always see um you know love struck uh kids or counselors uh counselors who uh are much more uh militaristic in their viewpoints of 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 how all this stuff should work um Mm -hmm. you know kids getting up to stuff that um basically they're they're gaming the system they're playing the adults uh which is which is what kids want to see at that time they want to Mm. know that hey you know, we can, we can game the system. It's not just the adults always getting down on us all the time. You know what I mean? Who are some of the, uh, the talented actors that appear in Poison Ivy? Well, you might recognize such names as comedian Robert Klein. Robert Klein. Or um, Adam Baldwin, as seen in movies like DC Cab and the TV series Firefly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you might recognize Nancy McKeon from our February episode in which uh, at least one of us had a crush on her. Right. Facts of life. Um, Joe. Yeah, exactly. And you might also uh, recognize a short little guy with a, some funny mannerisms and he runs kind of silly, but uh, Michael J. Fox. Oh, a little, a little, uh, little known actor, Michael Fox. You may have heard of him. That's uh, right. Because it's funny because when they throw to a commercial... He's not Michael J. Fox. He's Michael Fox. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, that um, was that was brilliant. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, of course, uh, Family Ties. I mean, you know, uh, Family Ties and um, Facts of the Future. Facts of Life. I mean, well, yeah, but I'm just thinking Facts of Life and Family Ties. Probably the two biggest shows that time at that time on NBC. Oh yeah, definitely. In fact, one of the uh, commercials actually is for an episode of Facts of Life. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, but yeah, Michael J. Fox. Geez, 1985 poison ivy but what a big year for him i mean he also had as you said back to the future uh teen wolf mm-hmm. i mean that's just i mean ooh, what a, i mean that's that's pretty big uh, accomplishment for any one year for any, any oh, yeah. entertainment individual, i think definitely um, i mean this this really was the year that he kind of exploded onto the scene i mean everybody really kind of liked him in family ties already but this is where he kind of made that move from tv to movies and i think actually in a lot of ways um poison ivy kind of gets lost in Mm -hmm. that jump because you think family ties and then you think back to the future and teen wolf and stuff and you jump right over this film definitely overshadows it um and uh michael j fox plays um a camp counselor at uh um a a summer camp set in the state of maine in poison ivy uh camp pinewood um and hijinks ensue. And what are some of the hijinks? I mean, oh. where should we start with this? Uh, well, I mean, honestly, it, it kind of makes sense to go chronological. Okay. Through the film. Um, so it 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 opens at a train station. Right. 
um and uh people are coming from all over at least the midwest and the east it seems uh to all gather in this one spot and then make their way up to the town of clifton maine whether that's Mm. a fictional town or not i'm not sure but um so we we kind of open on this panning shot of and we 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 basically see all of our main kid characters at least right off the bat mm-hmm. there um and they're all interacting it's actually it's, it's really well shot it's just this big long pan and we get different pieces of conversations and stuff um you know there's just the chaos of uh of all of this uh, happening all at once and then trying to get on the train we 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 meet uh adam baldwin's character um and he's trying to keep everybody in line and everything and um we meet um jerry disbro and um um my gosh bobby mm-hmm. bobby novak right off the bat mm-hmm. um and i i think actually um uh toby actually gets one mm-hmm. of the first lines uh of the film because his his parents are dropping off and like oh hey all my friends baked you a cake and he's basically like gonna eat this whole cake you yeah know? toby i loved i always identified with toby because he was kind of the chubby kid made out to be the comedian you know the, yeah. the um and, which is one of the charming things about this film you know each kid in the that we follow throughout the film you know the occupants of one of the cabins in this summer camp um, you know, Toby's the chubby, funny kid. Disbro is kind of the the wheeler dealer. Um, there's uh, Brian, who's kind of like a, a poet, a writer. Oh, very, very bookish. Glasses, very, very introverted. Very bookish. Um, Timmy Mezzi, played by Carrie Guffey, who most listeners will probably best remember from uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He I was a small n- boy that was affected by aliens. Man, until I saw that, I had no idea that that was the same kid. But as soon as I realized it, I could totally see it. I was like, oh my God, how did I not recognize? Right. And of course, Timmy plays the kid who does not want to be there and tries his darndest to run away from camp. Yep. Um, um, and then there's also Bobby Novak, who is mm-hmm. kind of kind of the sports kid. The, yeah, the jock. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but yeah, Jerry, definitely a bit of a player. His older brother had previously gone to Pinewood and was, um, a bit of a sports, uh, star mm-hmm. at camp. So he's, he's also kind of the kid who's like living in the shadow of his older brother's, um, experiences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there. Um, but he's got a completely different vibe. He's like, look. I'm here to, you know, be all suave and uh, uh, game the system. You know, he's he's got a con for everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we get he's, introduced. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. He uh, he's sort of like a, I'm not sure if you or our listeners are familiar with the film The Shawshank Redemption, um, but Disbro is very reminds me a lot of Morgan Freeman's character of Red, who is kind of like the guy who can always get you something, you know, yes. um, and, which is, I think is interesting because, you know, watching this film, you know, it's about kids in a summer camp. It had a lot of vibe of movies about people maybe in a prison or in an institutional setting. Like, um, I, I think of like a war movie, like the dirty dozen or the great escape, you know, people kind of 
people who don't know each other who are forced into a situation where they have to coexist and make the best of their surroundings. And in some instances, try to escape those surroundings, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I can totally see that now that mm-hmm. you mentioned, I can totally see that. And I, and I think for some kids, you know, we never did the summer camp thing. We did, you know, like fifth grade science camp. Yeah. You know, it's which like is a week, a week. You know? yeah, yeah. Not a whole summer or right, even right. part of a summer. Um, but I think for some kids, you know, that is like being like chucked into prison. Like, I don't want to golf to camp. Yeah, exactly. You know? the parents, and and the, the adults are like, to, you know, I, I don't want to deal with you. <laughs> yeah, I want, I want, yeah, the parents want two months off of uh, having to be a parent, you know. So, right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But I think we can all agree that nothing quite says you're watching something from the 80s like knee-high tube socks. <laughs> totally. Right? Yes, very much so. Um, and it again you know kind of sticking with this this um this kind of opening shot you know we, we've got um michael j fox's character dennis baxter um and i'll, and I'll be honest you, you know this is again this is me kind of coming at it with my modern sensibilities he is a really smarmy character oh yeah he's definitely a womanizer in this film oh no my doubt gosh about it. right so much like he is hitting up like every girl Mm-hmm. And and we when we first see him, you know, he's feeding this chick some lines and um um Jerry and Bobby go up onto the roof of the um train station and water balloon uh some of the girls from the girls camp, which has the very completely not sexist name of Camp Chickawana. <laughs> which which is hilarious and reminds me of like the name of like the lost Marx brother. Yes. You know, like Chickawana Marks. It's just, you know, I just, anyway, sorry. That's the, no, no, the uh, lesser known, lesser than Zeppo. Right, right. Um, but it, it's, it's funny because I, 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 I mean, I'm really curious. Like, was this kid supposed to have a line or did he just kind of like barge in? Because you made a note of it and we both hear him say different things. Well, yeah, there's, um, I think I think one of the things I want to say about this opening of the film is um, it really is not only does it establish the characters, but it kind of establishes the bizarre, surreal world that this film is occurring in, where certain things are completely understandable and acceptable, and other things happen that everybody in the film acts as particularly normal, but with modern eyes, you just look at it and your jaw kind of drops, which is kind of the joy of this. Yeah. Um, there's one part when, well, basically, of course, we have Michael J. Fox trying to, you know, um, flirt or hit on this girl. Um, and Adam Baldwin, the kind of head camp counselor, is trying to encourage him to get up on the roof of the train station, find the little kids who are throwing the water balloons, and have them stop doing that. Yeah. And Michael J. Fox doesn't know who Adam Baldwin is and is kind of saying, hey, listen, but out of here, I'm trying to hit on a girl. And out of nowhere, one of the camp uh, uh, kids going to the stomach summer camp kind of barges in to try to talk to the girl. And he says something that I swear he's saying, listen, I paid to see her. Hello. Yeah. And and you apparently hear him saying, listen, I'd pay to say uh, hello. But it's like the weirdest little aside and i can't tell if it was something that was scripted or just something that happened because it doesn't make any sense but it's hilarious and yeah it, it's I, the first inkling that something special is happening on television this night that's right you know and i tell you what listeners take a listen to that scene here real quick and then tell us <laughs> what you think you hear 
I love that kid. I know, right? Oh, it's so good. It is. Now, so far as I know, he's not credited anywhere, so we couldn't look him up and be like, hey, tell come us on, the I story think, behind this. Come on, I think he said enough words to get a Screen Actors Guild card. I mean, come on, please tell me there's someone There's someone in this world that knows who this kid is. That'd anyway, be really funny. <clears throat> one of the other things we notice in this opening scene is that Michael J. Fox is holding a comically large rope tied around the waist of the aforementioned Timmy Mezzi, yes. uh, the camp uh, kid who wants to run away from home. So obviously we're realizing that this is a world where it's completely acceptable to have a child uh, lassoed on a rope. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but the part that just slays me, um, the, 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 little, the kid um, Disbro, mm-hmm. and these are all preteen kids, probably between 10 and 15 years old. Um, yeah. Uh, Adam Baldwin is trying to encourage Michael J. Fox to get up on the roof and stop these kids throwing water balloons, you know. And uh, But Jerry Disbro, the little kid on the train station, is reading a huge, huge magazine. At least, it seems like it's 18 inches tall. And the title of the magazine is Bizarre Sex. <laughs> and Ad- Adam Baldwin is really concerned that kids are throwing water balloons off the roof. But at no point is he concerned at all that one of his student charges is reading a huge porno mag on the train station titled Bizarre Sex. Yeah. And it's not even something you have to, like, squint in the back of the scene to see. This is right up in front and center. And NBC, I, you know, God bless you, because this is just one of the moments when you just realize, wait a second, I am right now existing or watching a show that exists in a universe where all up is down, left is right. Laws Cats and morality and are all sorts of different. Sleeping together. And, oh, that's just I. Oh, I love that. If I if if I could find that magazine like at a movie prop auction house. Oh my god. Oh, Wouldn't I would pay great? at least thirty five dollars for it. At least thirty five dollars. <laughs> well, and that's that's the great thing. I mean, you've got to think about this in 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 any time period in in the television era, whether it's the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, today. Um, you know, anything that you make to go out on network TV especially has to be screened by the network executives first to go, okay, are, you know, are we going to seriously offend anyone by any of this stuff? Um, you know, do we, do we have any improper product placement that we're going to get in trouble for? You know, there are people who check this stuff over and for whatever reason, basically a 12-year-old kid looking through a magazine called Bizarre Sex completely was like, yeah, that's cool. We're, yeah, that's fine. It's quite possible that 1985 was uh, the year of a um, standards and practices uh, union strike that we're unaware of. But um, uh-huh. I definitely – it's interesting you mentioned that because even though there's no casual cussing in this film as far as I could tell. No, there's no um, there were so many movies in the 80s that showed or featured children who do a lot of casual cussing, which I think is really interesting because movies today with little kids in them, they'll never cuss. But I think a lot of times you do find little kids in real life that do cuss. Well, so, did you watch Stranger Things? There's plenty. Of, well, okay, that's not network TV. See, they can... No, but, you know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, anyway, anyway, I digress. You know, and but, uh, before we go any further, we, we would be absolutely remiss if we didn't address like the opening credits of this movie, because it is one of the most hilarious 
setups for a you know this a kid is going to camp kind of thing where you can you don't see the kid completely but you see him packing up stuff in his room and you can hear mom shouting from downstairs oh don't forget your summer reading what did i get you also all these you know obnoxious victorian novels don't forget your vitamins i know mom as he dumps the vitamins into the trash and then fills it with like skittles right right oh yeah it's just it's perfect it's it, perfection it, it's, it's kind of stuff you and i would probably do i yeah um, i mean if nothing else i think i think it embodies everything that we would have wanted to do at that period in time yeah it definitely set the tone for the film i think yeah um so they get on the train they're heading up to maine right it's all sorts of manic chaos in the train because it's a bunch of preteens um and <clears throat> disbro pulls this complete um like con of like oh i'm developing mumps mm-hmm. right they don't think to look inside his mouth for a cotton wad or something but they get him you know quarantined off into like his own room Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Into, into which he decides to change into one of the most laughable outfits. I think I would have laughed at this outfit at the time. It's wonderful. Like, I can't pull off, you know, I can't pull off believing anyone would go for this look. The closest uh, analogy I can draw for what we're trying to describe is in the Cannonball Run films when Dom DeLuise's character transforms into captain chaos and he's wearing a different outfit to kind of go along with a different persona and disbro whenever he's like doing something naughty or trying to sneak away for some reason he dresses into like a metal studded um sleeveless jacket yes um, a beret a pair of sunglasses and a single sequence sparkling glove presumably in a homage to michael jackson yeah well um, yeah I, there's nobody else who ran around with a single sequined glove but exactly let, let's I mean, let's address the fact that this this studded leather vest is white leather yes yes it's not white, black yes, leather it's not like he's trying to yes. look tough no he is trying to look like like a third row reject out of a michael jackson music video but it, but it's, but again, it's just, it's so cringeworthy. It's delicious, you well, know. And I'm not disagreeing with you there. I think, I think you're, you're right. totally spot on with that. It's, it is so cringeworthy that it's delicious. It is, it is the kind of thing where you, you know, if you've never seen it before, you will laugh and go, "Oh my god, how did anyone take this kid seriously?" And you know, the train scene is really cool too because it kind of fleshes out a little bit more of the characters that we're going to learn to mm-hmm. love throughout the film. Um, there's one really nice part when um, Toby is talking about himself and he's describing how he wants to become a, a stand-up comedian and he kind of describes the different uh, comedians that he aspires to. In fact, um, if it's all right, I think maybe if we could really quickly listen to a little audio clip of that portion right here. Oh, yeah. We're going to get it. Who, Toby? Jackie Gleason? You know Jackie Gleason? Sure. My dad caters for his for a lot of comedians. I'm going to be a comic myself, you know? I see myself as a cross between Gleason, Oliver Hardy, and Jack Now, I think that's really great, but the thing is, one of the things you had in the show notes, um, do you think today kids today would even get 
the Jackie Gleason reference. Yeah, well, um, I don't think I, they would. A, I think that's a really fair question. Yeah, I don't know if they would, but um, I mean, I think again, that's just uh, the 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 time in which the genius it was made. that is Toby. Yeah. Right, the time in which it was made, and you know, you just kind of love this kid. You know what I'm saying? Completely. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so they they get up to the camp. They they get up to uh, Clifton, Maine. Slash, it's actually Georgia. Um, right. Yeah. That's one of the interesting things I noticed in doing research for tonight's episode. It, it seems that it's filmed at a place called Camp Daniel Morgan, which is in Metro Atlanta. I think in a place called Randolph, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And apparently they filmed a lot of really interesting things out there, like uh, Cannonball Run um, and Dukes of Hazard, stuff like that. Which well, is now that's, cool. that, that's interesting because I always understood that Dukes of Hazard was filmed in like rural L.A. County. I think certain seasons were. I think maybe maybe at least one or two seasons was filmed out in Georgia. Maybe okay. maybe like the intro scenes or something like that. I don't know. That's certainly possible. I mean, yeah. that would need a little bit more research. But it's true that there is actually a lot of filmmaking that is done down in Georgia. Like The Walking Dead is shot in Georgia. It's interesting. I never thought of Georgia as a big um, cinema place, you know? It is. In fact, even uh, Stranger Things is shot in Georgia. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I know... Like I said, I, I know a, a couple people who've been extras uh, in season two. Oh, nice. Um, and they travel down to Georgia for it. <laughs> okay. um, can, I, can I just say that once we actually get to Camp Pinewood um, and uh, the kids are getting sorted into the different cabins, um, I think we can agree that Adam Baldwin is probably the worst sorting hat ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, but thankfully we, we get all of our main kid characters sorted into the same cabin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Boy, that's, that really works well for the story, doesn't it? Oh, (laughs) we're so lucky. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, oh, we forgot, we forgot that on the train, Timmy Mezzi skipped out. Oh, that's right. There's the train headed the other way. Exactly. Exactly. He, he, uh, he escaped, uh, Michael J. Fox's lasso. Um, not a good not tire. No, no. So uh, Michael J. Fox will actually have to leave camp to go retrieve Timmy uh, from a train station, I think. Yeah, down in, I think, Portland, Maine. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and this gives us a chance. It's nighttime, right? It's the first night there. <clears throat> All the kids in the cabin now kind of take an opportunity to stay up late and do what they do. Yeah, kind of get to know each other. Yeah, um, talk about what goes on at camp, like Color War. Color War, exactly. Um, they definitely, uh, Disbro kind of starts his uh, Machiavelli manipulations to kind of game the system. Yes. Um, I think he's sleeping in a bed near a leaking faucet. That's right, yes. You can and, totally hear the dripping faucet in the scene. And he decides to try to change beds with Toby and in an attempt to convince Toby to change beds, he offers to give him all of his summer's what are called PX tickets, which, right. if I understand correctly, is kind of the camp currency that can be traded in um, for things like bubblegum or candy or things like that. Yeah, PX is basically like the camp store. Right, right, exactly. Um, Actually, you know what? We, we've got a little bit of uh, this scene. 
because of course Disbro is still sitting there reading bizarre sacks. Yeah, he's still reading this huge <clears throat> porno mag. It's like not only do they they allow him to have it on the train, but now I mean I'm assuming you can't even assume that he's hiding it from the camp counselors because he's reading it like right out in the open. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I digress. I'm, I'm going to assume that this magazine's got some amazing articles. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, we only ever see the outside cover. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Bobby says something about, you know, uh, color wars being the things that separates the men from the boys. And, and Disbro comes over. He's like, no, this is what separates and showing off his magazine. Um <laughs> And uh, anyway, let's let let's listen to this scene here. Hey, uh, Brian, want to see some slides? Uh, no, I'm recording my thoughts. What kind of slides, Jerry? Oh, lots of nude women. Keep them. I saw my cousin Shirley nude last month. <laughs> I'll take a candy bar anytime. Cousin Shelley. Cousin Shelley. Poor cousin Shelley. Oh, that's great. Oh, my God. Well, you know what? Toby, you're the man. Oh. <laughs> so good. You know, this is such a great scene, too, because there's a real uh, great shot of... It's almost like a footlocker that Toby has that's full of candy that I, yeah. I presume he brought from home. Um, and I kind of fixated on that particular scene a little bit more than I probably should have because... There's all these candies in this box, and I can't figure out if they're... They're candies I've never heard of in my life. They must be fake made-for-TV candies. Although, I think there's always the, always the possibility that they're really weird specialty regional brands. Well, and we know that there are some, you know, unusual regional branded candies and other types of food out there. Um, right. As far as I can tell, because I know that you did... Um, uh, share a link to an article that talks about some of the more unusual things of celebrating the the show the movie's 30th anniversary um mm-hmm. so far as i can tell they're ju- probably just tv generic okay brands um mm-hmm. but i don't have a properly definitive story um anywhere at this point well one definitely looks like a hershey's bar but it's called it says peters on mm-hmm. the wrapper and the other one looks like a baby Ruth, but it says best bar. So yeah. if anybody out there, anybody listening to our podcast actually grew up eating any candies that sound even remotely like that, I would love to hear from you. So yeah. Please reach out to us. So, yeah. So um, Dennis goes to get um, Timmy from the train station. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm obviously I'm taking these notes before realizing this is the same kid from... Um, uh, close encounters but the look that timmy mezzi gives on the drive back um you'd almost swear he's one of these kids who'd have like evil mind powers if you insulted <laughs> cleveland too much and i don't know what part of cleveland he's from i'm guessing it's the southern part of cleveland yeah he's definitely showing up he's a georgia native i believe and he's definitely a uh, his accent's definitely coming through but you know it's it's interesting because it, that just comes to mind. I mean, his role in Poison Ivy and his role in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, they're both about children who are running away. Um, I mean, yeah. when I think of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I always think of him as a little kid, like, scampering out into, like, a field in the middle of the night, running away from his mom or something like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this kid, I mean, you know, talk about getting typecasted. You know what I mean? He's always uh, he's always a runner. Um that's true. That's true. Well, the next morning dawns. Next morning. Next morning dawns. Next morning dawns. And um, 
we we kind of get this big you know breakfast scene um we we get finally get to meet uh big irv right robert klein robert klein bless him is he still around oh he's gotta be is he still i don't know how could he not be i well i don't know people die and we miss it in the news it happens but i don't i don't now who is big irv and what is his role within the camp well big irv he is um he's the head of the camp he's the um it's like the, the CEO almost. This the yeah. CEO. You make this sound way too business like. <laughs> well, but I mean, it is kind of a business when you think about it. They talk later on in the movie about you know wanting to ensure that more campers come so they can stay in business and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. And I and I think the um, the pork products that the camp uses are supplied by um, Dennis Michael J. Fox's character's dad's company. Right, right, right. Um, and yes, good news. It appears as though Robert Klein is still alive. Whew, dodged yes. a bullet there. I know, right? Just had I to mean, double I, check that, folks. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that Big Irv is kind of like, he's sort of like a mix between um, George C. Scott, George C. Scott's portrayal of General Patton, but in a really kind of loser way. You know, like he's always trying to give like a really motivational speech. Yes. And encourage people. But yes. people just kind of it always falls flat. It, and... it's, it's true because there is one thing that really holds, you know, true in this movie. Even 30, what, three years later, yeah. it's kid apathy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, right. And that is still very spot on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they they go to start singing the Camp Pinewood song and nobody really wants to. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty hilarious. Um, we also meet Big Irv's wife, Mar- uh, Margot. Right, Margot. Um, she is. I I don't know that I've got a nicer way to say it. She's a slut. <laughs> well. Margot Margo is Big Irv's wife, and I think probably also, if I remember correctly, like a, a special assistant to the camp leader or something like this at the same time. And I think I think it's fair to say she's a she's um kind of like a mix between like a unsatisfied or a bored housewife kind of thing. Yes, but yeah, but she's also kind of like she kind of reminds me of um, the assistant in Young Frankenstein. Okay. Kind of, kind of a, a not ditzy? sort of ditzy, sort of, you know, roll, roll, roll in the hay, sort of like that a little bit, maybe. <laughs> Just to kind of give a little bit of, I'm trying not to use the S word here. I'm trying not to use the S word here. Well, I used it. Okay. All right. You anyway. know, but, and, and, and I, you know what, and maybe that isn't the right word because she doesn't seem to, at least not that we get introduced to in this film actually sleep with anyone she is flirting with but, but, absolutely every other guy in the camp but heavily and in a cartoonish manner yes 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 yeah. even to the point of literally coming out of a room at one point like in a nighty, and it's right. like uh, okay this, this, right, right. Wait, what <laughs> yeah um i have to admit that this movie has given me all sorts of ideas for like custom shirts like there somebody needs to do a porker's pride shirt somebody needs to do a camp pinewood shirt and 
Um, Man, I'd settle for just a DVD release. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that too. Oh. I mean, it would be cool if there was some bonus stuff, but, you know. Now, this this whole scene in the morning when they're in the, the auditorium or the cafeteria or whatever. Yeah. I mean, this is where an important character gets introduced into the film, I would say. Oh, uh, that's would right. This, this, is, this is where uh, Nancy McKeon's character, Rhonda Malone, comes in mm-hmm. as the camp nurse. That's absolutely right. And apparently all the kids in the entire uh, dining hall are hot for her. Cause it's like, she walks in and all you hear is everybody. Oh my God. Who's that? Oh dang. She's looking good. I'm like, were we all horn dogs back then? Is that what this is? Well, she's America's sweetheart. I mean, come on. Who doesn't love Joe? <laughs> she's great. And of course she's playing um, like a camp trainee nurse, I guess. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think she's trying to get her um, degree or something. So this is part of it. Right. And Nancy McKean's character, she's probably the most rational and level-headed and ordinary character in the entire film. There's so many people in this film that are done up for laughs and are portrayed in a really cartoonish manner. But she's like level-headed, straight-laced, always says the right thing, you know, is very, very down-to-earth, I would say. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, she probably is one of the more normal characters in this movie. Now, did you grow up watching Family Ties or Facts of Life? Um, yeah, I remember watching both. Um, I don't know that um, I necessarily watched either religiously. It wasn't, I don't remember it being like, oh my gosh, it's Thursday night. I got to sit down at 730 and I got to watch my Facts of Life or whatever. Um, right. But it was one of those shows, and they were both the type of show where, you know, if it was on, um, I would watch it. Mm-hmm, like I remember mm-hmm. watching some Facts of Life. I remember watching some Family Ties. I don't remember them being like huge parts of mm-hmm. my growing up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one really interesting thing about Michael J. Fox and especially his portrayal in this film of Dennis Baxter, and I probably should have mentioned this earlier. Um, Michael J. Fox, I think, I think it's probably fair to say he's one of these actors that is very charismatic, but in most of the roles he plays, he kind of just always plays himself. I kind, kind of like of, how Cary Grant just played Cary Grant a little bit. I can see um, that. And there's a there's a there's a part at the very beginning of uh, that morning when they wake up in the camp cabin at six forty five when yes. Rebelly is called. Yes, yes, I know. And he exactly looks at his clock and he goes and he goes six forty five. You know, because he's like, like that little scene or that little thing. Yes, has such a huge Back to the Future vibe. Oh yes, completely. In the sense that, like, there's there's parts in Back to the Future where he's like sleeping in too late and he has to meet Doc Brown. There's a clock and he's like, "What time is it?" You know, um, or like, you know, he's looking at the clock on the DeLorean and he's late for driving off to hit the lightning bolt or something like that. And it just gave me it gave me such a chill. It's like, oh, that's back to the future, you know? I don't know. No, you're but. you're completely right. Um and, and there is I, I have notes like multiple times um where, you know, there are some mannerisms that are just Michael J. Fox. Um and, and part mm-hmm. of it is that kind of um you know saying something in disbelief you know he's mm-hmm. he's saying you know it's six forty-five the same way he says you know you built a time machine out of a delorean yeah yeah and um, it's just perfect 
Yeah, I, it, some of the the his hand movements, the way he runs, he just has this way that he runs. Like his arms actually get into it, and I, and I, I have no way to describe it in a purely audio medium. You will literally well, have to go and watch the movie in order to get what I'm talking about. Well, I, the way I always think about it, I think there was. Do you remember the Onion, the online satire oh, yeah, newspaper? Yeah, yeah, which I, now is apparently just telling the truth these days because our whole world is the Onion now. <laughs> Right, right. We're in the onion now. Yes. If I'm not mistaken, I think there was an onion headline years ago that said something like Michael J. Fox adjusts tie and runs hand through hair, (laughs) which I think I think encapsulates exactly what we're trying to say here. You know, he he definitely has a lot of uh, Fox like mannerism. Yeah, you know. Exactly. And and, Um, and I think that's something we see. I think if you really study and look at like every role he's played in a film you can probably find those mannerisms throughout they are just him right exactly uh um but he is he is again he is so smarmy he is he's coming on to ronda so hard so thick like like 42 year old me is sitting here going like folks there's an entire lesson on consent right here (laughs) Like, right, this right. is an example of what not to do. I mean, Marty McFly was like a really honest guy. Dennis Baxter is like not a he's really like honest evil guy. Marty McFly. Yeah, he's like evil Marty McFly. It's right. Oh, it's so good. <sighs> so yeah. Oh man, we we get back to the kids. Disbro is now working a con to get Brian to write letters for everyone in well at first the cabin and then it expands to the camp right apparently uh, one of the requirements of being a camper at camp pinewood is to periodically write letters back home to your parents saying how much you like camp pinewood and how much you miss your parents and disbro decides to uh put brian the child of course you know that's a good writer to work um making duplicate copies of letters that get sent out um to the parents and of course the kids are excited they don't have the right letters that for some reason they don't want to write and in exchange they pay some of their px tickets so all of yeah. a sudden this bro's rolling in the dough so to speak well the candy bars at the very least or the candy bar at least yeah exactly um because I, if, I, at one point we we see you know you know an, an entire you know a couple of representatives of a, of a cabin come in with like an entire box of candy and like right. dump it into this massive pile exactly and, and probably i think their letter Yes, and what you were going to say, but I think what I cut you off on is, of mm. course, what Brian's getting out of the whole thing is that Disbro is going to give him advice and suggestions on how he can win the heart of Joe from Facts of Life. That's right, that's right. Uh, it, it is part of the big, um, I don't know, romance story, I guess, is that <laughs> Brian's character, Brian has a massive crush on Rhonda. Right. Um, and because Dennis is coming on so hard to her when, when, uh, Brian does write, uh, a poem or a letter and like slips it into Rhonda's pocket and then Rhonda reads it, she goes, Oh, it's from Dennis. Exactly. It's a very Shakespearean trope. You know, the one lover writes the love letter and then the recipient thinks it's written by a completely different person. It completely is. I saw that in your notes and I'm like, wow, that actually is really kind of a shakespearean concept totally i never thought i would associate shakespeare and this film folks on any level 
folks, don't listen to what anything else anybody will say about uh, Poison Ivy. It is not crap. It is Shakespearean. It is wonderful. Well, at least they don't all die at the end. I guess it's (laughs) more of a comedy than tragedy then. Exactly. (sighs) Oh, man. So uh, some of the things that some of the other things that we're finding out by this point in the movie um uh timmy mezzi still doesn't like being there um he's a very picky eater yep um he doesn't like trying new things and he doesn't know how to swim does not swim um and so that obviously is causing um some tension some stress some of the other kids are picking on him kind of thing um but there's kind of this you know, almost, I don't, I don't know, a little bit of a lull in the story until we get to their 4th of July celebration. Exactly. But if I could uh, just add one really quick No, please, thing. please. We are introduced rather early into the film, into the uh, to the character with the legend of Walter the Handyman. Yes, who... I am so sorry. I meant to include that when we got back to the Cousin Shelley bit, because that's where they introduce the character. They're talking about Walter. The legend of the camp handyman, basically. Yeah. Camp handyman. Exactly. exactly. Tell us about Walter, Seb. Well, Walter, the, the camp handyman at Camp Pinewood, um, supposedly carries a hatchet with him everywhere that's covered in bloodstains because the rumor is he slaughters little camp kids, and which I think is just hilarious. And they make it up into this big kind of urban legend thing. Yep. Um, and I kind of think it's really funny because apparently Camp Daniel Morgan, where the film was shot, was actually where they also a year or two later filmed um, Friday the 13th Part 6. So it kind of has a horror movie connection vibe going on there, which is kind of interesting. And um, the big question is whether or not, you know, is this true? Is Walter really a killer? And is he going to kill one of the kids later on? So stay tuned. We will uh, we'll learn more as we go on tonight's episode. And I, and I think the other big mystery here is how did Friday the 13th actually make it to six parts? <laughs> <laughs> aren't they up to like 20 i i have Didn't no idea like at this 20? point i'm 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 not a big horror i'm not a good i'm not a much of a gore watcher like i'll watch suspenseful films but nah friday the 13th nightmare on elm street that stuff never interested me i thought there's a law that they have to have a new friday the 13th or uh you know nightmare on elm street movie at least once every other three or four years like Probably. i thought that was like yeah 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 Probably uh. something like that um so fourth of july rolls around you know big herb's giving his big old fourth of july speech and they're watching fireworks and ooh and ah and timmy messy decides you know what nobody's looking at me i'm gonna run away zip oh yeah and off he goes off he goes and this sets it up for um uh Rhonda and dennis to go and pick him up because he's he's making for the train station again right um and so i think it was a bus station was it a bus station oh i think you know what you're right i'm sorry it was a bus station you're absolutely correct and he like dresses up as like a homeless person or he's like hiding under newspapers on a bench or something yes yes he's trying to look like a full-size hobo on a bench but he's only half size because at one point i think it's i think it's Rhonda who says wait hold on is it just me or did half that guy just move yeah the old hobo trick but it didn't work yeah, well, you know, if you don't have your bindle stiff. Yeah, exactly. Um, so so this, this gives a chance for Rhonda and um, Dennis to kind of, you know, have some time together in the car and talk. And, right. Right. 
Um, Dennis, of course, is trying to put his moves on Rhonda, and uh, unlike with most of the other women in this film that he tries to seduce, Rhonda's kind of not having any of it. Um, well, not only it, that, but you know, she shares an important bit of information about herself. Right, right. She's an alien. No, wait, I'm sorry. She's engaged. <laughs> She's engaged, yes. Um, and you so, would think, you would think, that would stop Dennis. Oh, uh, she's engaged. Right. In no. 2018, that would stop Dennis. Oh God, I would like I would like to think that in any day and age that would stop someone. Let me just say that, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah. no, not this guy. Not this guy. He keeps going. Yeah. I mean, not physically going. You know, he's he's um I won't say subtle, but he's persistent. Um, Th- that's a very good way of describing this character. Right. Not subtle, but persistent. And who is uh, who's the lucky man that um, Joe is engaged to? Um, a, a a gentleman, uh, a a doctor, no less, mm-hmm. uh, by the name of Martin. I don't right, right. know. Do we do we get his last name uh, in the film? Uh, uh, D bag. Sure, Doctor Martin D bag. <laughs> that works for me. Yes, Doctor. Well, he's kind of Doctor Martin kind of McYuppie. He is. Yeah, Martin. Yeah, no, he That's absolutely name. is. Yeah, is the character of Martin that we meet later on. Yeah, oh, right. right. Yeah, we're not okay. quite to parent week just yet. Um, okay, but there, um, Disro is working on his next con um, because one thing we didn't right. talk about at the very beginning is he starts chatting up a girl from Camp Chickawana named Irene. Irene. And Irene totally also, gives them so preteen. Yes, also preteen. Yeah, similar age. This isn't kind of like trying to hit on an older girl kind of thing. Um, but she is at the camp across the lake, <clears throat> right? And so, in order to get across the lake with no one noticing, they need to set up a distraction. And do you remember what they mm-hmm. set up? Well, I think they bribed some of the really young kids at camp who they call shrubs. Yeah, different age groups candy. have different tree names yeah right right so the shrubs they they bribe a whole a couple shrubs to um fall off of a canoe to into lake so a lot yeah. of, which gives Sisbro um and his the other kid bobby uh a chance to get across the lake bobby mm-hmm. to lamp Camp Chickawana? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And apparently we Got need it. eight counselors to wrestle two shrubs. <laughs> yes. The... I, I, I yes. don't know. No, that's, it's just another one of the weird jumps in logic of this film that's just, oh, it's just so charming, you know? Well, and it's one of those things that's like, you know, after after a couple of the counselors who are, you know, actual, you know, actors in the movie mm-hmm. jump in the there's something about the timing of the other counselors who you don't really see or have met up to this point who jump in there's something about the timing of like how they jump in where it's just like you know you could you could hear the director off screen going okay guys jump now go you know and they jump at exactly the same time it's just like people don't really it's not quite natural, but anyway, I'm being completely nitpicky here. No, 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 no. This, hey, we're going deep. Come on, we are, we are. Uh, but this is this is one of those things from from our childhood that we've watched a lot that we know yeah, kind I, of. I, I don't know that I'd say inside and out. Some people um, know the Bible. I know, I know, I know. Poison Ivy. I mean, that it's just. Mm, uh, we I just, will, I just, we will, we will now read from the book of Dennis. 
The Book of Dennis. The Book of Dennis. Right. Um, yeah. First, first Timmy Mezzi. Uh, no, okay. Anyway, first, so, first, first Mezzi right, versus first four Mezzi. and five. Yeah. So, so Disbro and uh, Disbro and Bobby get over to uh, Camp Chickawana. Mm-hmm. Which I love right. how Robert Klein says it. Camp Chickawana. Chicky, Chickawana. Like, where is that coming from? <laughs> from genius. Clearly. <laughs> from brilliance. Clearly. So yeah, so they get they they get over um, to uh, the other shore. They get over to Camp Chickawana, and strangely enough, Dennis is already over there hitting on a girl. How, you know, how, we should have known, right? So they they tiptoe past while uh, uh, while the two are making out mm-hmm. and head down. Uh, what I guess into the camp, into where their showers are, if nothing else. This is where the film becomes kind of a really creepy version of the film Porky's. Yes. You know, but like super underaged. Um, and really kind of wrong. Like if yeah. there's a point where you go, okay, how did um how did network executives not take notice of this? Yeah, this yeah, the definitely whoever's doing standards and practices. Oh jeez. Seriously. Uh, what should we should we listen to it before we talk about it? Uh sure. Okay, here we go. Can you see anything? Oh, can I? We got it all, the whole enchilada. There's Irene. Let me see, let me see. What do you mean? She's mine. Come on, you wouldn't be here if I didn't help paddle the canoe. Which one is she? The blonde on your left. Okay, no harm in the She just left. All right, come on, we'll follow her. No way, I'm staying right here. Bobby, there's no one left in there but the six-year-olds. Is that bad? Don't you know anything? Come on, let's go. What do you think? Uh, most cr- single most cringeworthy part of the film for me. I don't know about you. Uh, no, pretty pretty much. Pretty I much. mean, they you know, they go in. They're like, ooh, ooh, let's spy on the girls, and it's like, oh, they left. Well. I'm going to stick around. I'm like, dude, it's just the six-year-olds. It's like, whoa. And then he goes, is that bad? You need to ask. Yes, Bobby. Yes, it is bad. Yeah. Yes, Bobby. It's bad. <clears throat> it's, yeah. It, I, I I don't know. But yeah, it is, it's that kind of thing that we look back at as adults and go, wow. It went there. Yeah. It really went there. Okay. Yeah. The 80s, we lived through it. We did. What can we say? I we should get like a T-shirt just for that or a participation. You participated in the eighties. Here's a ribbon. Right, we survived. Holy moly! Ugh. Um, so obviously Jared Desbro is here to see Irene. So he transforms himself into. Wait for it! Wait for it! The Michael Jackson outfit again. Yeah, and oh, then brilliant. This this next part. What he does to get her attention, because she's on some sort of like nature hike, butterfly catch thing. Right. Um, I, I don't know why, but I, even as a kid, I thought this was a really kind of genius move. He literally writes, I am here on a tennis ball and rolls it out to her. <laughs> it, it's weird because it's like, you know, at no point does he does it explain who's here. It's just I am here. You know? Right. But um, it's hey, a it works. message from God. Yeah, God it gets, it gets her attention. Points. Exactly, exactly. Ugh. Um, so he starts to what? He starts to chat up Irene. He's like, "Hey, yeah, we brought some uh, 
candy, like a backpack full of candy. Uh-huh. Let's 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 go get high on sugar. Right. And uh, maybe you can find a girly here for my boy. Right. What up? Um, and then all of that is shot all to heck. Because there's clearly a very poorly dressed girl in the camp. And they are chasing her off. And I just have to say that Timmy Mez- Timmy Mezzi makes a really ugly girl. Exactly. But he's also what? using a mop for hair. So, Yes, you know. and his latest attempt to escape from Camp Pinewoods, our, our ever-present Timmy Mezzi uh, disguises himself as a girl and ends up in Camp Chikiwana. And all of a sudden, Disbro and Bobby and eventually Baxter find out that Timmy is being chased and decide to try to escape with him because all of a sudden... The mob ensuing uh, is going to catch them up as well. That's right. Yep. Um, Um, So they run off, but Timmy's like, no, guys, follow me. I know how to get out of here. There's the laundry truck. mm -hmm. Go hide in the back. Right. And he sacrifices himself. Timmy is captured and delivered into the clutches of Big Irv. Yes. The the clutches. Right. Um, And Irv is... um, what uh interrogating him right? right with with a very very menacing adam baldwin by his side yes yeah that's right um ike that's the mm-hmm. name that's the name Irv. i see it kept getting thrown off you got irv and ike adam mm-hmm. baldwin's character name is ike right <clears throat> and you know michael j fox is he's you know he's like hey man go easy on the kid what are you talking about mm-hmm. kind of sounding a little bit like that too um and um, at the same time, uh, Jerry and Bobby are under the cabin, right? Looking in, trying to figure out how much trouble they're in. Um, and to Timmy's credit, he's like, mm, "Friends don't rat on friends." I'm gonna take right. this to the grave, yo, because yeah, he's suddenly exactly. a gangster rapper. <laughs> uh, and and lo and behold, we realize that Timmy has a. Uh, more to his character. He's not just someone who wants to run away. He's someone who is willing to stand up and protect his uh, his bunkmates, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he, he's, he, in his character arc, has kind of reached a point of like, well, clearly I'm not getting away from here. Um, you know, and I want to fight the system, basically. Like, you know, most all of these adults here, I can't stand. Mm-hmm. You know, he's also got, you know, the adults in his life who are about to meet that would, I can see why he can't stand them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, he, he makes that decision to be like, no, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand up for my bunkmates. You know, this, this just occurred to me, but, mm. um, that particular scene, especially with, uh, Disbro and Bobby under the cabin, looking up through the knot hole in the base of yeah. the floorboards. That really reminds me of a really infamous scene in a film called The Deer Hunter. Have you ever seen The Deer Hunter? Uh, no. There's this scene. It's a Vietnam War film. Okay. Um, with Robert De Niro. And there's this one part when they're captured by the North Vietnamese. And they're stuck in a hut. And they're looking up through the floorboards. And they're watching their fellow prisoners being forced to play Russian roulette to the amusement of the guards. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, and it really, I don't know if that's, if any of our listeners out there have seen both The Deer Hunter and Poison Ivy, please chime in. I'd love to know if you think this is a, kind of like a, like a, like a reference to that 
particular scene. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, I digress. Huh. Okay. All right. Well, we get to Parents Week finally. And we get to, uh, early on in this scene, we get to meet Timmy Messi's parents. And um, I absolutely hate them. Yeah, they're very... Um, the, the father is a really um, aggressive type who yeah, is really hard on Timmy. Mm-hmm. Very emotionless. Very much like, you know, Timmy's having a horrible time. And this is good because he'll suffer and it'll make him into a man kind of thing. Yeah, it'll make him a man. Um, and, and the wife is very meek and has to take sleeping pills all the time. Um, but, you know, Dennis Baxter, to his credit, he uh, tries to explain to Timmy's parents that Timmy's making some progress. He He's showing real loyalty to some of his friends. Yep. Um, doesn't, doesn't explain in what context he showed that loyalty. Um, but the important thing is that he's, you know, showing some progress. So maybe... You know, is it okay if he skips the the big swim meet or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the parents relent, you know, so that's cool. Uh, and then um, Michael J. Fox asks Timmy's mother for some sleeping pills, some of her sleeping pills. And why uh, why does he want some of her sleeping pills, Taylor? Well, well, he says he's having trouble sleeping, so I just I just assume that you know Dennis Baxter is telling the truth in this movie. He, you suggesting he's not? Hmm. Has Michael J. Fox said even one truthful thing at any point during this film yet? I'm not uh, sure. He might have. I'm sure Archie might has have. actually taxed the muscles. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> if you've seen the movie, that reference will make sense. If you haven't, why are you still listening? Pause this and go watch the movie. Um, uh, because at this point, we have met Martin uh Rhonda's fiance and he is um despite all his yuppie affectations reminds me a bit of David Ogden Steyer's character Major Winchester in MASH that was such a great pick I mean I really didn't see that coming but when I thought about it it makes perfect sense because Martin is really kind of a stuck up um full of himself very mansplaining this mansplaining exactly um which is really funny because there's so many leaps of faith and um, instances of illogic in this film that are very endearing. But I always thought that the idea of Joe from Facts of Life being engaged to such a blowhard just didn't like it. You have to wonder. It's like, you know, was this like a mail order bride kind of situation? It, it because, pushed your suspense of disbelief a little too far. Right. Because at this point in the film, you know, the filmmakers are trying to show some strain in the relationship between um, Nancy McKeon's character and Martin, the fiance. Yeah. So you see her kind of being like, well, you know, uh, Martin, why are you being such a jerk kind of thing? You know, um, which, you know, I mean, is necessary for the plot of the film and the progression of the characters because inevitably, you know, <laughs> a spoiler alert, you know, Nancy McKeon and Michael J. Fox are kind of going to get together at the end of the film. No surprise there. How could but, you spoil um, it, man? <laughs> but anyway, uh, before that happens, we have to get to the uh, the infamous drugging scene. Yes, which I'm very I'm very interested to hear your thoughts and feelings on this because huh. as, as, as at this point we've we, we we are pretty sure that Michael J. Fox is a womanizer and a serial liar, but now he's someone who's willing to drug people <laughs> with sleeping pills you um, yeah you're absolutely right now in in the, in the context of 
hey, here's a goofy summer camp film. And, you know, he's really going to stick it to that stuck up blowhard Martin. You know, if you look at it just in that little context of like, of course, I'm going to stick a sleeping pill in his cheeseburger, you know, or three or three. Um, you know, whatever, whatever happens to fall out of his hand. Maybe there's a Flintstones vitamin in there too. I don't know. <laughs> 10 million strong and growing. Or as I like to always pick on it when I was a kid, 10 million weak and dying, which is <laughs> right, terrible, right. but that's what I said as a kid. It, you would always <clears throat> say that. I would. Um, in, in just the small context of just that scene, if you look at that just by itself, it's like, ah, uh, it's harmful. He's just, you know gonna get the guy out of the picture because he's annoying if you look at it in the context of absolutely everything else that his character does in this movie i think you could recut this with some music and make this a horror film oh totally totally i mean are we even convinced that michael j fox knows this is a non-lethal dose of sleeping pills is this actually maybe potentially a murder attempt who knows really i mean because he he clearly doesn't know when um uh when somebody is making up a book by strips and pads um about child development so i don't expect him to just be able to look at some sleeping pills and go oh well this is only about 250 milligrams it'll be fine (laughs) right right um, so yeah, so obviously we've got we we've got Dennis doing some fairly questionable things here. But before Martin gets tired and goes for a lie down, uh, we get a little bit of stand up act from Toby. <laughs> oh, Toby! Uh, uh, yeah, for some reason um, he's kind of given uh, a microphone and is invited to give a comedy routine to all the campers and their parents that are having the barbecue mm-hmm. during Parents Week. Um, and unfortunately, uh, most of the jokes he lands uh, fall flat. Apparently. Yeah, apparently he bombs. Um, he bombs. He, I do, he I do have to wonder if he got to write his own jokes, but we may find out the answer to that later. Hmm. 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 We'll talk about that. Um. Mm. So, um, Martin is now very tired. Uh. Uh. Dennis offers. Hey. Hey. I've. I've I've got night shift, you know, he can go, he can go crash in my bunk for a little while. It's cool. It's cool. I'm being the nice guy here. Right. Um, and then, uh, so he does obviously. Um, and then the kids pull a big old prank on him. Mm -hmm. Um, because even when, um, Rhonda and Dennis come in later, they're like, uh, where'd he go? He's like, well, Toby snores and maybe he left and took the bed with him. Cut, (laughs) cut to the docks, not the doctors, the docks, the actual down at the lake docks. And there's Martin waking up. Oh, those crazy kids. Oh, those crazy kids. They're, they're just a bunch of goofballs. He goes, scalpel. And tumbles out of bed into the water. The the whole way that that even happens, all just that entire scene. That's Mash. Yeah, that is it, a completely major Winchesterish kind yeah. of thing to do. You know, Hawkeye it, is punctum. Yep. He wakes up, thinking he's he's in the OR. He mm-hmm. stumbles out of bed, and yep. he lands in the lake. 
Right, right. Which, you know, I think really goes back to the thing I talked about earlier, how, you know, prison movies or war movies, it's like, you know, you get the band of misfits that are kind of thrown into a situation together and think, you know, hijinks ensue, you mm-hmm. know, and that. I think it's that same kind of uh, flavor. But, um, I, you know, when I, when I was a ahead. kid, this was just, I was convinced this was the height of humor. This Human beings could not be funnier than what I'm seeing right now in front of my eyes. Oh, yeah. I think for a long time we felt that way. And and even though, you know, I've grown older and wiser in my years, I still have that love for moments like that in the film. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, I think the only thing that yeah. could have made it even more MASH-like is that right after that, Klinger goes walking by in a dress. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> cue Jamie Farr. <laughs> exactly. When in doubt, cue uh, Jamie Farr. Um, uh, so... Right after this, we get um, uh, we get a scene where where all the rest of the bunkmates kind of come together to try and get Timmy Mezzi to uh, be less afraid of the water. Mm-hmm. You know, here let's sneak into um, Big Herb's cabin because mm-hmm. he's got a bathtub, right? And we'll just get you floating on your back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's there's not really much to that scene, mm-hmm. um, but it's important to set up because it plays out, you know, kind of in this like last third of the film here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because here comes Color Wars. Color Wars. Color Wars is what separates the men from the boys. Color Wars is a honored, time honored annual tradition at Camp Pinewoods where the camp kids get split up into two groups. One blue in color one gray in color and they have to compete in different events uh sporting events mostly uh although there is a essay writing event yeah I, and not only um, that how how do you have an essay that's only 50 words long I yeah mean, that's i fart out an essay. email that's longer than that <laughs> right right um and only color wars, here could that be a sport <laughs> right color wars there's there's team leaders, there's, you know, different, there's sergeants and things like that. And... Yeah, kids get ranked out and stuff. And, and the way it, it seems like, it seems like there's a, like a biplane that flies over and it drops a bunch of leaflets. And I don't know if this is like, you're on the blue team, you're on the gray team, like if that's how they split them up. Right, like what's but, the mechanism by which... Yeah. Because obviously the kids that we've grown to love in this film so far that all live in one cabin find themselves all of a sudden on two different color lines. They're on opposing teams. It's it's a complete Civil War concept. I mean, not not just the blue and the gray thing, but these these bunkmates who've become brothers, quote-unquote, are now split in half. It's now brother versus brother. It's that whole thing without being you know quite as racist and slavery-inducing. Exactly. And, you yeah. know, I think for me personally... That's one of the reasons why at this part of the film, I always felt that it kind of lost a lot of steam because whereas before we were just following the antics and hijinks of these kids. Now there's this kind of plot device that's kind of shoved between them all. Um, yeah, but you know, in, in a way that it, it also just kind of switches up the dynamic and it gives them the opportunity to, even though they are going head to head for a while, they do ultimately see that, you know, being on the same side is more important. And of course, as we've come to see, Dennis Baxter, our hero, is the camp counselor in charge of one of the teams of Color War. 
And um, Adam Baldwin, the camp counselor you love to hate, is, of course, in charge of the opposite team. Yeah. So we're set up there as well. Yeah, we're totally set up there. And, of course, you know, the whole color work concept is utterly contrary to the whole team building aspect that going to camp provides in the first place. Um, right. But, hey, it is what it is. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of fun that they're, you know, literally using every trick in the book uh you know right down to the point of like having a shrub come into the other team because his cabin leader is there being like i had a nightmare i'm all sad and stuff okay well let me finish up this one thing way over here on the other side of the room and then i'll take you back to your bunk and then the kid goes all right here's my little camera i'm gonna take spy pictures and yeah that's so crazy but do you remember what the shrub's nightmare was? He his nightmare was that Walter the handyman was chopping his body up. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah that's right. I, well, I had a so nightmare about Walter. He's chopping me up. <laughs> and so can bad. I just say there there's something there there was this type of haircut in the eighties, and it's it's not a bowl cut because I had a bowl okay. cut for a while. Um, All right, it's it's almost kind of like a hair helmet. Oh, like, yeah. I don't even know how to describe it, but this shrub's got it. All right um admittedly and i say this in the most loving way possible you had it for a while oh when you were time. very young i had um, it in that, like high school i think yeah uh even disbro's kind of got it sort of like mm-hmm. like the preteen version of it like it's a little shorter but i'm like i don't know what it was like this was like every little kid had this haircut mm-hmm. in the 80s mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's terrible haircut mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and by terrible you mean great um no I mean, terrible. Sorry. I mean, but I'm looking at that from this point of view. I mean, at at the time, it didn't bother me. It's the haircut that it's the haircut that cousin Oliver had from the Brady Bunch. Oh God, yeah, yes. Or cousin it from the Adams family. He cousin it just had a longer version. Yeah, like a longer version of the cousin Oliver. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, So the oh my gosh, I completely blanked as to what side. Oh well, you know. Well, Timmy, Timmy's on the side with Dennis Baxter. Well, yeah, but, but what color? Oh, what color are they? Yeah. I think they're blue. Are they blue? Or gray. Anyway, <laughs> there's the Michael J. Fox team, and then there's the Adam Baldwin team. And okay, Timmy's let's call on it the that. the Michael J. Fox team. Sure. But Disbro, the, the camp kid that we've come to love at this point, finds himself on the Adam Baldwin team. And Adam Baldwin decides, hey, you know what? This kid, he's a he's a hustler. He's a mover. He's a shaker. He can get stuff he's done. Gonna, he can get stuff done. I'm going to put him in charge of sabotaging Michael J. Fox's team. Yes, and because he, Dennis's team, they're getting ready for the swim competition. Right. And they put Timmy Mezzi on backstroke mm-hmm. because Bobby's like, no, no, no. We've been teaching him how to do it. He's, you've yep. got three other good swimmers you, to cover him. You know, he can do it. Right, right. Right. And this is where the whole shrub spike comes in and takes pictures. And Ike is all like, nah, this can't be real. They must have been on to me. They put Timmy down for swimming. Whatevs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Jerry's like, um, no, nah, actually. And so he's like, all right, go sabotage that crap. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, there's other events. There's um, Brian gets entered into the uh, aforementioned essay writing contest. Yes, which is um, hilarious because they're all like, the oh, he's going to be awesome. This is going to be great. We're going to nail this. And he goes to hand it in. And he's like no crumples it up he's like i wasn't happy with it exactly the perfectionist that he is he actually writes a great essay but in such long a time that he comes in last which is really a shame and even then Uh, he says i'm really not happy with the last paragraph i'm like how do you have paragraphs when you only have 50 words 
Was his? What do you think his essay was about? Was it about? Was it about Joe from Facts of Life? It was. <laughs> we're gonna confuse people. Um, was it about Rhonda? Probably. Probably. Was it like Triple X, like Facts of Life fan fiction? I really hope not. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that exists out in the world. I am not about to search that up um, and and waste the bandwidth on it. <clears throat> I'll do that later. Um, but uh, I don't know what he wrote about. But um, yeah, why would writing even be a sport? I, mean, I, know, I love writing, so but it shouldn't be a sport. That's so weird. <laughs> Sports writing, sport, writing right, sports writing, or something. Sports um, writing, sport, writing sports. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? I'm trying to remember what other competitions do they have? Oh, like the swims, apparently the big one. Oh, I'm sure there's an archery run. There's, but, uh, but we don't really see them. We don't see them though, but it's oh, implied. Or it's you know in, what? You know. you know what we do see though. What do we see? You know what we do see is we see the um, like the camp counselor hunt. Shut up. Yeah. We do? We, yes. What are they okay, well, we don't see... Okay, here. We don't We don't see the whole thing. <laughs> is it the, like the most dangerous game? <laughs> They're like being hunted in the woods? This This is the Hunger Games meets, you know, a 1980s <laughs> summer camp romp. Um, no, 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 no. Um, it's one of the early ones. Um, Big Irv introduces it. And um, as they're out, uh, Brian's like, oh, did you see anybody? And... Mm. The son, this random kid is actually credited as random kid is like, oh, no, I haven't. But, you know, watch out for that stuff. Why? What's that stuff? Oh, that's poison oh, ivy. That'll right. put you in the infirmary for days. And Brian's like, well, tch, I'm going to strip naked and roll in it because I'm going to spend some time with Rhonda. Right. After 80 minutes, we finally get in, introduced to the plant that the film is named after. Yes. Um, and Brian ends up in the infirmary. And of course, this is the point where Joe from Facts of Life learns that all these love letters are not being written by Michael J. Fox, but instead by Brian, the little yes. boy. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we that, there's the other competition we see. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, and she handled, you know what? She handles it incredibly gracefully. Oh, of course. I thought, you know. She, she is our logical, um, rational character in this movie, so she has to. She's the moral heart of this film. She is. Because it certainly isn't Margo. <laughs> nope. nope. Margo um, is the, 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 the flirty eyelashes of this movie. I don't know. The flirty hips of this movie. I don't know. She's flirty. Right. By, and, and, and by this point, she's in bed with uh, Adam Baldwin. Uh, yeah. Because apparently he's never played Spin the Bottle. They didn't do that in the right. library school. Exactly. Uh, probably exactly. a good thing. Okay. Um, but anyway taking the long way back around to disbro kind of doing this reverse manchurian candidate trigger word thing yes on timmy mezzi makes up a story about a guy named tough break thompson <laughs> tough break thompson tough Who break is thompson tough break thompson uh tough break thompson is and i put is in quotes um uh, a kid <laughs> who was in uh one of the swim events okay. many years ago and um basically uh uh faltered and uh drowned mm-hmm. and died so of course when the when the swim competition finally comes up and timmy's out there doing the backstroke and doing a pretty good darn good job mm-hmm. you know there's just a scene where disbro goes up after uh ike tells him to and goes hey timmy tough break and it's suddenly right. it's like 
you know, he's triggered. He has it's kind like, of a panic attack. He totally has a panic kind attack, of, and he's like, ah, yeah. I can't swim. I'm going under. I'm going under. Right. right. He totally chokes, and, you know, uh, Michael J. Fox has to jump into the lake and save him, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, the team loses points, you know, because they're not winning. Um, Adam Baldwin's scheme is coming to fruition. Yeah. And what, what's funny is, um, oh, the way they lose points is that Bobby walks up to Jerry and he's like, bro, what the heck? And he's like, what? And he's just like, this punch. <laughs> and and for that whole thing, for literally a kid striking another kid, this, this is 2018 me talking, the, their team loses two points. <laughs> right, right. It's not that, you know, juvenile authorities are called or the sheriff has to drive out. You know, child protective services don't come out. Two points get detected. Oh, right, okay. two Got points little, get I, and well, what's I crazy love the, i love the 80s. go ahead go ahead I, I just wanted to say i love that decade i'm sorry go ahead i no, you're completely right because again this is a prime example of like all the crazy stuff that you could get away with on tv and to some extent in real life probably not that i ever went to camp but what i have trouble believing is that um like in one of the next scenes they're talking about oh with only you know this event and that event left the scores are somewhere in the 900s. <laughs> right. Like, do they use the scoring uh, uh, um, schema from, like, whose line is it anyway? Yeah, I know. Where yeah. points are just awarded arbitrarily. Apparently, there were 200 other events in Color Wars that we don't see during the film. They were they were cut out while we were um, at a commercial break for the uh, Gasparilla Parade. <laughs> yes! The, wait, go out. Is that the time to talk about it? Sure, why not? Okay, folks, just to let you know, this film, not only is it the greatest film ever made, but the YouTube video that was uploaded by Some Kind Soul, recorded off of NBC affiliate in Tampa Bay, Florida, in 1985, has some of the most wonderful commercials of the 80s, including ads for a local Tampa event, the Gasparilla uh, Parade, which is a, from what I kind of understand, a more than 100-year-old pirate themed festival and parade and i can't tell you how excited i was to learn that fact i love parades but a pirate parade i have no idea what a pirate parade even is well but apparently it must be celebrating their you know uh history of you know pirates piracy? of the caribbean down in florida and stuff like that you know something but, like that because oh, actually we'll, we'll have a wikipedia link to the Gasparilla yes. Pirate Festival in the show notes. Go check it out. I, I meant to look at YouTube to see if somebody's got video of, not, not necessarily 1985's Gasparilla uh-huh. Parade, but right. a Gasparilla. There's got to be footage from one. I want to see what it looks like. Yeah, I think they still do them every year. So That's awesome. Yeah, there's got to be stuff up, stuff online. Yeah, That is awesome. All right, so we now So come- Timmy... Yeah, Timmy's Timmy's basically run away again because yes. he's been humiliated in front of everybody because he couldn't swim. Right. Because he was, you know, basically brainwashed by Disbro into failing. He really can swim. So he disappears and everybody's running around trying to find him and look for him. Um and uh some of the kids discover that Walter may have got him. Walter the handyman that we've learned may or may not be a serial child killer. Yes. And uh so they um they start heading off in that direction. They, they eventually find one of Timmy's shoes and they're like, that looks like blood. And I'm like, no, that's really kind of obviously red paint. 
but I guess maybe you're caught up in the excitement of the moment. And right. Sure, 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 sure. Um, I think it's hilarious um, because we, we get a cut scene back to the camp and they're like, hey, half of Dennis's team is like gone. They're not even showing up. They're just, you know, they disappeared. And, <clears throat> you know, Irv and Ike and, and Margaret, they're all kind of like struggling with this, like, why would anyone abandon Color War? And <laughs> Margaret just has this line. She goes, and if they're guilty, no ice cream for a week. And I'm like, Ser- seriously? That, was, that is the ditzy part of her character. I'm like, where did that even come from? <laughs> Um, I love it. It, it is. It's it, it's a great little cut, but we get back to the main action, and and sure enough, there's Walter. There's you know you you get this close up, and he's holding the hatchet, and the hatchet's mm-hmm. all red, and you get the mm-hmm. music with the strings getting all mm-hmm. like high pitched there and everything. Very scary. Very scary. And, and and Walter's an artist. He's an abstract expressionist. He, he is. is a painter. He's a frustrated artist, and all the blood that we've been seeing is actually red paint, as my brother mentioned. Yeah, wow, um, wow. and Timmy's just kind of sitting there having fun, enjoying his artwork. He's um, like, and he comes, he walks out from behind one of the paintings, and he's like, "I like it, Walter. I really <laughs> like it. It's great. It's a great moment. It's it's hilarious." Yeah. Um, and so, you know, oh, the team's all back together, and it's like, oh, so sorry, and Disbro apologizes to Timmy, and. Uh, Timmy's like, all right, well, I want to swim the lake. Mm-hmm. And they're like, mm, I don't know, man. You just you just started doing the backstroke. I don't know if you really should exert yourself that much. You're kind of skinny. Your lungs might be malformed or something. I don't think they actually say that, but that's kind of the vibe I get. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, no, nah, I want to swim the lake. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all right, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, finally, like, the guys, you know, everybody back at camp. And it's like, oh, my God, Tim Mimez is swimming the lake. Yep. He Tim redeems Mimez himself and, in the and, eyes and of becomes all of the this, uh, fellow Pinewood campers. Yeah, and it becomes this whole big thing. I mean, it's just like scene after scene where somebody shouts that and everybody runs. <laughs> you know? Um, and so this is kind of our, our, our culmination of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not only... Not only is everybody cheering on Timmy and congratulating him when he makes it, um, mm-hmm. but he's impressed. You know, the the whole you know uh, 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 bunk getting together to support Timmy and and work as a team and everything has impressed Herb so much that he declares color war over and everybody's winners. Yay! You would think at this point everybody would jump in the air, they'd freeze frame and roll credits, right? Um, but no. No, Ike's like, you can't do this. There has to be a winner. And there has to be a loser. Adam Baldwin is pissed. He and is what happens? Pissed. But uh, Marty McFly decks him out. No, just no like he doesn't deck him. He does not deck him. Well, you know. He doesn't he throws deck him. He him in a lake. Yeah, he basically, and it, you could, I mean, my God, this is telegraphed from a mile away. It's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Hold on just a sec, Ike. You know what? You know what you need to do? What? What do I need to do? And he just shoves him and goes cool off because <laughs> i'm cool like that yeah it's so good oh uh, man and it's just it's it's like <clears throat> how the mighty and the mighty tropes have fallen the bad guy gets his comeuppance exactly the good guy gets the girl 
the 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 oppressive regime has changed right um you know we get this whole end of camp scene where they're getting on the bus and uh irv comes walking up to dennis margo is suddenly like oh you're a man now i want to kiss you um although she doesn't have an accent but it's kind of like that um right and so and their their marriage has been restored they're right um, rejuvenated even right. um and um uh irv basically offers dennis the position that ike has basically been gunning for all mm-hmm. this time for exactly. next year yep um yep. And and by this point, it's starting to become pretty obvious that Rhonda's come around and is like, ah, this Dennis kid's pretty cool. Yeah, she she eventually falls for him, even though she's at, by this point learned that he's not the author of the love letter she's been getting. True. And apparently is still oblivious to the fact that he tried to murder her fiance with an overdose of sleeping pills. But <laughs> let's 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 gloss over that because it's NBC. Um, now remind me, Seb. Did didn't NBC also air Unsolved Mysteries? <laughs> Perhaps you could help solve a mystery. You, I I feel like I feel like there should be there there should be a follow up to Poison <laughs> Ivy, and it's an episode of Poison Unsolved Ivy Mysteries. The Reckoning. The Reckoning. Oh God. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, you know things we the film ends where it began. We get back to the train station. Um, I have to say nobody palms a slice of cake like Toby, um, oh. because not only did he get a Bon Voyage cake, he got a welcome home cake. He did. He did. Um, uh, man, I don't know what to tell you. You know, um, Dennis is like, Hey, come on, Rhonda. Don't, don't get off the train. Don't go see Martin. Just stay with me. And she's like, you know what? I, I kind of have to tell him. Right. You know, I should at least do that. Mm-hmm. And then she doesn't. Nope. Um, which really makes me start to question her character. Mm. Mm-hmm. Where she is, I think she's she's just becoming corrupted mm. by Dennis here. She is getting turned to the dark side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, next year is camp counselor or camp nurse. It's going to be dangerous if depending on what pills she has. <laughs> We're turning now, this in. We're turning this into a proper horror movie. What are we doing, Zeb? Stop me. Uh, well, should we really briefly talk about whatever happened to some of the child actors <clears throat> that were featured so prominently in Poison Ivy? Yes, let's because um, that was one of those things. After watching it the first time this month, I was like, "Hey, what happened to these guys?" So uh, Jerry, Disbro, hey, right? Um, Jerry Disbro uh, was played by a guy named Joe Wright. Um, he wasn't were in much more of of note, uh, nothing that I recognized. Um, but sadly, he actually died in two thousand nine of natural yeah. causes. That was a real um, bummer. Yeah, he's buried out in Indianapolis. Um, it, yeah, I know. I was really I was like, whoa. I'm like, I'm like, oh, that there's that whole kid actor, you know, drug overdose kind of thing. And then I did some more research and I was like, no, it's natural causes. And I was like, oh, okay, that yeah. is sad very sad yeah uh brian firestone was played by a guy named tommy noel mm-hmm, um right. he was actually in friday the 13th part six right so not he was in another film filmed in the exact same location as poison ivy which i thought was really weird that is very weird and a mm-hmm. uh a film that listeners might be familiar with because it was 
done just in like the past uh, eight or ten years. Get him to the Greek. Right, and he's credited as S&M guy who looks like Moby. Which and, is, okay, sure. And actually, grown up, he does look like Moby. He does. He has like a bald head and big chunky black eyeglasses. But, yeah, yeah. If, you go, if you go look at his uh, bio on IMDb, uh, he does kind of look like Moby. It's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bobby Novak was played by a guy named Derek Googe, which is mm-hmm. kind of an unfortunate sounding uh, last name, but okay. Um, he hasn't been in anything since about 1989. Uh, he, again, based on my Google research, is probably about 48, and it looks like he lives in Colorado. Okay. Um, Timmy Mezzi, played by Carrie Guffey, he obviously was a kid from Close Encounters and um, really hasn't acted a whole lot since 1985. I think he's a banker in Birmingham, Alabama. That uh, is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know you thought you might be able to make some sweet connections and uh score us an interview with uh carrie guffey How i gave it the old pan? college try you, you know did. i i found a i found an address on the internet uh it's a website supposedly to help people who people who collect celebrity autographs okay it's kind of like a website okay like you know what if you want to write to someone's agent you know and ask for an autograph what's the address you use right, you know right. and I did find an an entry listing for um, Mr. Guffey, um, presumably a home address um, in Birmingham, and I did send off a registered letter, but unfortunately never heard back. So, uh, but Timmy, great role. Yeah, I salute you. Definitely. Um, and Irene, uh, played by a lady named Shanna Stewart, uh, she was in one other movie in 1997, and I thought through my research uh had become a registered dietitian in kansas um but having reached out to that person to simply ask because honestly if you look you look at her and you try to imagine what this kid would look like grown up they look really similar i'm like this has got to be the this is oh yeah how could it not be totally wasn't totally wasn't um and lastly toby kaplan uh matthew played by matthew uh shigailo um he was never in anything else ever again. Well, according to IMDb, at least. According to IMDb, this is true. This is true. And IMDb is not always 100% accurate, but... Maybe we can find out for sure. Maybe we can, because if you stay tuned, this is why this is why this episode is dropping as late as it is. Um, Seb has done an amazing job and has actually reached out to uh, Matthew and scored us an interview with him that's right folks our first ever celebrity interview it's history making here on the if memory serves podcast absolutely um uh, so sit tight you'll hear that in just a couple minutes um but said before we get to that yes one of the things that we did love about this seeing this on youtube was the commercials oh my gosh what were some of your favorite commercials well, you listed a whole bunch of the great I ones. I did. I listed way more than um, I thought I would, um, but I guess I'm a sucker that way. Judd Hirsch selling sugar-free chocolate milk mix. Yeah. Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, remember um, remember when Kodak could sell film by using ragtime music and babies? <laughs> remember when camera film was even advertised on television that or even would, produced or sold in stores? I pretty mean, Pretty much. Now, wait a second. Didn't, didn't you come across a roll of film at Mom and Dad's? Oh, it, I, I found a um, that disposable we need to get camera developed. that's yeah. about 20 years old. 
Um, and I have no idea what's on it. I need to have it developed, and if it is possible to get it developed, I'm not sure if it do, is anymore. Do you have it in your possession, or is it at mom and dad's? It's about 10 feet away from me right now. Okay. Okay. I bet you can go down to a Walgreens and ask. I hope so. I mean, I can at least ask. I mean, what's the worst? It, you know, they're going to say, sorry, it didn't work out, you know? So, yeah. I, um, I, yes. Make it happen. Uh the TV, uh, there was a great commercial for the TV show Bloopers and Practical Jokes. Oh, yes. Which I remember. Watching that show. Intensely. Yes. Um, there was a Baskin and Robbins commercial where they showed German chocolate cake flavored ice cream. Yes. Which I don't know if that's a thing that only existed in the 80s or maybe they still have it today, but oh my God, did that look delicious. Yeah, that, that was, they had that commercial oh. a couple times. That was like, okay, I'm craving ice cream now. What were your, some of your favorite uh, commercials? Well, I was I was actually at first kind of impressed by the Mazda GLC, which is a whopping sixty seven hundred dollars <laughs> brand new. Um, and then they had the Pontiac Sunfire, which had a whopping one hundred and fifty horsepower. Pontiac, we build excitement. That's right, Pontiac. Oh. You guys don't build anything anymore. No, not anymore. They're around. they're deader than camera film. <clears throat> yes, they are deader than camera film. This is true. Um, and, and I'll just cover the last car one. They, they actually had one for the Mercury Topaz. Um, and they did everything they could to make it sound like the most amazing car ever. And it really is a complete POS. Hey, they sold me. I don't know. I was sold. Yeah? yeah sign me up. All right. Well, I, I they had a, a Minolta camera commercial. And I swear it looked more like they were on a firing range. Mm. Because things would like pop up. And it was like... Psh, psh, psh. And it was like, oh, yeah, this the only thing that that uh, focuses faster is the human eye. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, They had the most dramatic coffee commercial ever for Taster's Choice, no less. It wasn't even good coffee. It's like freaking freeze dried coffee. (laughs) I don't like I don't care about your Arabica beans. You have freeze dried coffee. There was a commercial. There is a commercial for a Lubriderm hand lotion. Yes. And the host of the commercial was a talking severed head. Uh, yep. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, and, didn't and, get the reference, but enjoyed it nonetheless. And we get a Mass and Gill douche commercial. Uh, you don't well, get feminine hygiene commercials like that anymore. You know what? Here's the thing about commercials from the 80s. And I know I've probably said it before, and other people have said it more eloquently than I am going to say this. But... Commercials these days, they try to be funny and tongue-in-cheek and make you laugh or be awkward or ironic. Uh, you know, I have a real longing and uh, desire for the old-time commercials that were just, you know, a straight-up attempt to be nostalgic and wholesome-ish, you know? I can see um, there's, there's a commercial these days for a brand, a gasoline station called um, Marathon. Mm-hmm. And they, they, it's a new commercial, but it's like they really try to go for the 80s, you know, it's morning in America kind mm-hmm. of, you know, wholesome Americana thing. And I gotcha. it's really kind of hackneyed, but like I'm stuck, I'm such a sucker for it. You know, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, just feed me more, you know, just lie to me. Just keep lying just, to me. Just lie to me. Oh boy. Anyway. Ladies. <laughs> Sub's available. Just keep lying to him. Just keep okay. lying to me at the, at the gas station. Uh, yeah, right. The, yeah. I think the only other thing worth noting in terms of commercials is the fact that there is a Hallmark Valentine's Day commercial, <laughs> but 
this movie premiered and the YouTube video is from February 15th, 1985. No, I'm sorry. No, I take that back. That's not correct. It was February 10th. Oh. It is. I completely take back what I just said. I was like, it's so weird. There's a Valentine's Day commercial after Valentine's Day. No, it was four days before Valentine's Day. Never mind. Uh, Oh, well. Never mind. (sighs) Well, we have got something exciting for y'all. As we got a chance to sit down and interview uh, Matt Shigala. See, I'm going to screw it up so bad. We got to interview Toby. Um, so why don't we throw to that right now? Matthew, thank you so much for speaking with us and sharing your memories with us. I can't tell you how much of an honor this is. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no problem, man. My pleasure. Where are you guys, where are you guys called out of? Where do you guys live? We're in California, Northern California. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. Right. So, I'm in yeah, Chicago. We... Oh, yeah. How is it in Chicago? Cold right now? Uh, I guess you could say it's chilly. You guys would probably say it's really cold, but yeah. it's chilly. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I just, I, can't, I never forget. I mean, I've only been through Colorado, I mean, California a couple times. Um, I just, my, I have the funniest memory of uh, this weather broadcast that I saw on YouTube from L.A. Um, I can't remember when it was, but it was. For me, it was one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen. Uh, the weatherman, the weatherman, literally had um, uh, Arctic blast written on the screen with icicles <laughs> and snow and shit like that. And uh, he's interviewing people on the street. You know, they got coats on their dogs. They're wearing winter parkas. <laughs> and he goes on to say, he goes on to say, it's, "Folks, it's going to be fifty degrees." Fifty I, degrees. I almost, yep. Yeah, I almost <laughs> fell out. I mean, I'm. I'm still in shorts and a t-shirt in 50 degrees, man. Yeah. I, did, I thought that was it's just amazing how, how well people can get used to, you know, uh, the cold or the, the warm weather. It's just pretty funny. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, That's got to anyway. be California for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. So, well, what do you guys want to know? Well, I mean, uh, so our, our latest episode is our, our memories of our – one of our favorite uh, television movies from growing up, which, of course, was uh, 1985's Poison Ivy on NBC. And you know what? I'll tell you, it's take correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like there's so little information out there. And what it what 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 information there is, is usually just people crapping on this thing that I loved. And I think, Taylor, you love, too, you know, so. Yeah, it's I just honestly, I just think it's just funny that you uh, some people still even remember the movie. You know, it's just it was just a TV made for television movie um but uh yeah i mean i i think that's pretty cool that you guys like that that was you know that was like my 15 minutes i guess you could say yeah (laughs) yeah um it's kind of funny because i think we must have recorded it because we had only i think even had a vcr in our family for about a year so we would tape just about anything so we had something and we watched Uh it a bunch growing up oh my gosh We uh, we found it on YouTube. At least I did a couple years ago. Tay watched it for the first time on YouTube. I think uh, about a month ago, and we wow. it's like we didn't like all the lines came back to us. It's like we yeah. never forgot this thing. It was so <laughs> huge, you know. I mean, yeah, maybe... I, I I heard it was on uh, YouTube. I, I thought that was something that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's out I there. Mean, Commercials and all. I mean, maybe yeah. we should start at the top. How did you How did you end up in the role of Toby? Like, what's the story there? Oh. 
You know, it was, it's funny because um, I hadn't, I wasn't into acting. I, I, uh, what happened was I was in school. Mm-hmm. I, was, I used to go to a private school in uh, East Lakeview, down by the lake in Chicago. And uh, my mother ran a temp agency downtown. And the office right next door to her was a casting agency. And she became good friends with the lady who ran the casting agency or owned the casting agency. And one day she just called my mother up and said, you know, they're having open auditions for this role that she thought that I would have been really good for. Mm. So my mom sends me a message in school. Um, I think I was 10, uh, 56, something like that, 56 grade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, saying to just go home, change and, um, take the bus down to her office after school. So I did, and she told me, and they were holding open auditions at the Marriott Hotel on Michigan Avenue. So I went over there. I read through the script with, um, I think her name was, was it Shirley Hamilton. I can't remember. But I read through the script, the script with the, um, the casting agent for the movie, and um, she liked it. She said she got on the phone, and she uh, wanted to have me flown to Atlanta well, actually, it was Rutledge, Georgia, but we flew in Atlanta mm-hmm. um, to audition for the producers and the director. So she flew me yeah. down there. I auditioned for them, and I got the part. And that was it. I mean, wow. It was just happenstance, you know. It was, it was pretty cool, you know. It was, it was a lot of fun, especially at that age, you know. Um, being on a movie set, Michael J. Fox, you know. I'd never done anything like that before, of course. Yeah. I, mean, I was only 10 years old, you know. So yeah, it was very exciting. You know, it was, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. What what year? It was filmed in '84, right? Because it came out like early '85, maybe. <sighs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I was like, it was. It must have been. Yeah, it was right before the Bears won the Super Bowl. So, okay. um, yeah, it was filmed sometime in '85. I can't remember the exact date, but uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I was like ten and a half years old. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then it came, I'm pretty sure it came out in 85. It came out like right before uh, I think Michael J. Fox did Back to the Future. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, he was already popular from that show, uh, Family Ties, that he was on. Right. So, yeah. Did, you, did you get along some, well? Uh, some pretty... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, With Michael? Yeah. I mean, you know, as far as a kid and, and he was an adult, I mean, we had uh, actually found some pictures um, the other day. I got a picture of me and michael j fox on the movie set and um there's pictures because uh the first two weeks of filming my cousin flew down and hung out with me oh, and wow. uh we were playing cards <sighs> in i don't know whose room but it was michael j fox nancy mckeon and uh adam baldwin mm-hmm. there's a picture of us all we got i got a picture of us all in the uh, hotel room uh which is pretty cool i actually went to a uh, uh, braves dodgers game with michael j fox Oh, no kidding. That's awesome. Game, yeah. yeah, at uh, Old Fulton County Stadium in Atlanta, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I hung out with mostly uh, the other kids that were on the, in the movie. Um, one in particular, the one with the Yankee hat. Yeah. Um, uh, his real name is Derek. Derek mm-hmm. Huge. Um, yeah, we became good friends. I haven't spoken to him in a while. I talked to him on Facebook every now and then. He lives in California now, I believe. Um, yeah, I mostly hung out with him and... Uh, um, you know, at the time, um, well, you remember that Terry Guffey, right? Yeah. The, um, he, was, he was the other kid, the one who was in Close Encounters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, I mean, at the time, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's a good person, and, and you know, but, you know, at the time, he's 
he's kind of kind of a douche. <laughs> really? I guess you could say in real life. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was still high off being in Close Encounters or something. Right. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's a good guy. He's sure he's grown up. But I mean, at that point in time, you know. He had a pretty big ego, okay, <laughs> I guess okay. you could say. Yeah. Um, uh, other than that, you know, uh, see, Michael G. Fox is all right. I spent a lot of time with him. I do remember, I do remember upsetting him. <laughs> uh, well, we were filming, we were filming a scene in the canoes on the lake. Okay. And um, we were trying to get our canoes parallel, something like that, in the water. And I had experience with with canoes even at my age i had been to water camps i was i knew how to water ski i knew how to canoe and boat and all that stuff and and i was just using my oar to kind of push his canoe away a little bit just to kind of give space i forgot what i was doing but he was he was really he got really upset about it and i, I do remember that um i mean other than that you know yeah i mean he was he was a nice guy you know i, I remember at the end of the movie he gave her he gave all the kids something um he gave me like a big boom box Oh, wow. awesome. radio yeah i forgot what he gave some of the other <laughs> kids but uh yeah yeah he was really cool you know he was uh yeah, it was definitely uh something i'll never never forget we filmed in georgia for well i think it was a month mm-hmm. well maybe a little over a month something like that um royal treatment man it was really cool you know nice. <laughs> you know you get you get you get your uh, a trailer to hang out in on set you know and it's hot out and it's all air conditioned there's food everything you could ask for and <laughs> it was cool you know it was, it was really cool being in a movie you know I and mean, uh i do have the, the one strangest memory after the movie came out though is because i played i started playing hockey right before i i did that movie and I continued playing hockey afterward, and uh, <clears throat> I was at I was at hockey camp one summer here in in, in the city, and um, there was a a camp, a day camp, on a field trip to the ice rink that I I, I was at hockey camp, and uh, me and my friends were hanging out like in the in the area where everybody puts their skates on and stuff, and this camp came in to skate. And one kid, and this is, this is the, I think this is the one, only time this happened. It was really, it was really weird. Um, someone recognized me from the movie. And, oh, wow. were, you know, and then the next thing, but the next thing, though, the entire camp was just hounding me. I mean, it was, it was really street. I, I didn't know how to react, oh. you know, and they, they just, they were just all over me. I mean, I literally I had to go in the, in the pro shop wow. and hide out. Wow. Because they just, they wouldn't leave me alone, you know, oh, and, and it just, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just a normal person. You know I mean? I was only having one movie. I mean, I mean, it was cool. It was cool. But after it, it got a little strange afterward, I just didn't know how to, I, I don't know, I guess how to deal with it. But yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, it was uh, definitely an experience of a lifetime. I'll tell you that. I Did you have a, a favorite scene that you were in? <sighs> um, there was, I don't know if it was a favorite scene, but there was one part of the movie that was that was, that, that we shot. There was one scene I forgot. We were in one of the cabins, and I remember the the camera guy, the camera guy in this one scene. 
I can't remember exactly which scene it was, but I'll never forget the cameraman kept making goofy faces behind the camera and <laughs> fucking me, and, excuse my language, and screwing me up every time. Because I kept laughing and laughing. Like, we kept having to stop and redo it over and over again. It was one of the scenes in, in, one, of the, in one of the rooms, mm-hmm. with the bunks. Um, but I, that, that, was, that was really memorable. Um, And, uh, you know, I, and I always remember that very first scene when I was throwing water balloons off the top. Yes. The oh, yeah. Classic. Classic. Yeah. 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 That, was, <laughs> that, was, that was fun being up there throwing the water balloons. Um, Do you remember if there were yeah, any, you know, like, uh, deleted scenes or, like, things that, like, like, got changed in the script or anything? Or did the, was the final product kind of, like, kind of faithful to, like, what, what it was like? It probably was. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, I watched... I watched the movie the first time it came out with my okay. family, and it was it was really weird. Um, I never watched it again with anybody else. Really? I, I just it was it, yeah. I, it's it's just I feel weird watching myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I and I so I haven't watched it. I mean, I think I've watched it one other time than wow. the very first time that I watched it. Yeah, I just I don't know. I just I don't know, and especially I just for some reason I just won't. Uh, for years, I just wouldn't watch it with anybody. I didn't want to watch. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just I felt a little embarrassed or something. I'm not. I'm not really sure exactly the reason for it. Um, so you know, like I said, I've only seen it like once or twice. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, as far as I know, um, you know, those were. I don't know if there's anything cut out. To be honest with you, yeah, um, it's probably pretty straightforward. You know, it's a made for children, uh, kids TV movie. So yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, you know. So was was the was that part of Georgia? Was it like a really rural part, or was it just like? Yeah, it was. It was an old camp. It was a. I don't know if it was a campground that was still currently being used, or if it was a campground that's not being used anymore. But it was an old. It was in a very. Yeah, it's Rutledge, Georgia. Okay. Was where where it was filmed, and as far as I can remember, it was a pretty rural area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, you just drove us back and forth to that. We stayed in the hotel. I think. Not far from Atlanta. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as I can remember, you know, I yeah. just, I, yeah, I remember it being, I remember getting, I remember, I, I, um, I liked getting per diem. Yeah. <laughs> per diem was nice. Per diem I liked, because I remember I could say, I saved, I remember saved on my per diem and I bought a brand new pair of ice skates as soon as I got home. Oh, that's I awesome. I do remember, that was, I remember, I do, never forget that. Cool. Um, yeah, and I made a good friend in uh, Derek, you know, the, the guy who played with the Yankees hat. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Still haven't spoken in a while, but, you know, we, we sent a message here and there on Facebook. Oh, that's cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it was a pretty unbelievable experience, you know, I mean, Everybody at school knew about it. You know, I still get, I actually just talked to an old um, grade school friend of mine. We're, we're, and he actually brought it up. And I was like, wow, you know, it's funny because these, these guys uh, contacted me through Facebook and asked me for, to talk to them about it. <laughs> it's awesome. He thought that was, he, yeah, he thought that was pretty cool. Nice. So he lives in Connecticut now. Right on. So I've read that the, uh, it out. I've read that the actor that played Disbro passed away. Was he, what was he like as a, as a person? Disbro. Um, was that the kid with the straight black hair? Yeah. He was kind of um, like the, the kid one that was like... The one who thought he was really cool. Mm-hmm. He hit like the Michael Jackson costume or something. Yeah, he was, um, he passed away? I, yeah. I think, I he thought, passed yeah. in 2009. Oh, it's, 
That's terrible. Um, I yeah, I had no idea. Um, you know, we didn't hang out much. Um, um, I don't have anything. Honestly, really don't have much to say about him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I really hung out with Derek yeah. and his and some of his family. Um, you know, and my cousin. But yes, yeah, far as the other cast members. And we hung out, you know, on the set, but uh, he was uh, he was a little, little like Terry Duffy at the time, maybe. Okay. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to say like standoffish. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I guess he. he let's just let's. Well, he, you know, the the guy's gone now, so. Um, I don't want to say anything sure. bad about him, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, nothing bad about him. We were kids. Yeah. I mean, we were kids. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we didn't, and let's look this way. I don't think we got along too well. Yeah. Um, that's it. We Fair. didn't get along that great. Fair. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, as far as that goes. Um, Do you know, if yeah, the, you... Um, this is probably a dumb question, but, like, the, the candy bars in the movie, were those, like, regional brands or just, like, fake candy bars that only... They just invented for TV. We kind of have a debate you... going on. Um. Oh my God! Yeah, where the like the PX tickets and the candy. I don't. I don't know. God, it's that's a... a good question. I don't even remember. I I really don't remember. I think it was real candy. Oh really? Um. Yeah, I think it was real candy. I don't know. I don't remember the brands or anything like that. I just remember like all this wrapped candy, but. I think it was real candy. Yeah. Okay. I, I okay. think it. I think at one point they've got a close up of like whatever box that you had packed, and there was like a one was called like Best Bar, but and... it looked like a Baby Ruth. Yeah. One was called Peters, and it looked like a Hershey bar. I don't know. It's a really dumb question, I guess, but I just had to ask. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I really. I don't remember. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry. No, that's <laughs> okay. That's no. okay. Um, I'm kind of curious because in, in, in the Parents Week scene, you know, you, you kind of get to get up and do a little bit of stand-up. Did you get to write those jokes or were those handed to you? No, those were handed to okay. me. Okay. Yeah, those were handed to me. I mean, I was, I was 10 years old. I wasn't that creative at the time. <laughs> right. Uh, right. I was, was good at school, but... That was kind of the character's thing. Like, he wanted to be, like, a comedian, sort of, right? Yeah, yeah. Jackie Gleason was, like, his idol. It's just funny because I love Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners, even though it was before my time. But my, mm-hmm. my mom watched it when I was a kid, and I've, I've seen, like, every Honeymooners episode, too. So, um, but, yeah, you know, um, never thought about being a comedian. But, yeah, in the movie, yeah, I wanted to be a comedian. I was, you know, the character, so. That's awesome. Yeah. Do, do you think... If, um, you know, like all these 80s movies that, you know, they, they'd get to the end and they'd freeze frame on a character and you'd get like a sentence about what they become. Do you think Toby would have gone on and actually had a, a good comedy career? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> good, yeah, right. why not? <laughs> did, you, did you enjoy your overall experience or were you like, oh, I never want to act in anything ever again? Or was it like... Um... Yeah, you know, I loved it. I had a great time, and it's funny because not long after that, I moved to New York. My mm-hmm. mother got remarried, and I moved to Manhattan, where would have been the perfect opportunity, right, mm. to 
to pursue something like that. But, you know, at that age, my mother didn't push me to do anything I didn't want to do. And the only thing I only thing I wanted to do was play hockey, mm-hmm. you know, really. So, you know, um, I can't say I, I regret that decision, but, you know, there's times where I think, you know, what could have happened if I, if I did, you know, I mean, sure. if I did try to pursue it, who knows? Um, I did enjoy it, you know, and I've, I had often thought about trying to do it again, but, you know, life gets in the way. Yeah. You know, yeah, totally. life does You got to do what you got to do in life. For sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, I loved living in New York. I mean, it was a great, we lived in the West Village for close to four years. Um, actually played a little hockey there and then we moved back here and been here ever since. Nice. Kind of want, kind of want to move. I'm actually kind of wanting to move for a little while. I was actually thinking about California. I don't know. I kind of want to get out of Chicago for a while, even though I'm barely ever home with work, but mm. Uh, well, at least we'll up in Northern California, we do get somewhat cold, although probably not Chicago cold. No. Probably not. No. <laughs> are, you, are you still a Blackhawks fan? Oh, of course. You know, they're playing <laughs> horribly. Oh, my goodness. Oh, they're not doing too yeah. good this year? Okay. What? Uh, I've only I'm... been to one. Uh, San... we're, we're originally from, we grew up in San Jose, right next to the, where they oh. have the Sharks stadium. I've only been to one Sharks game though, so I can't I can't claim to be a hockey fan. But uh, it was a fun time though. Well, yeah, I mean hockey. I mean I love baseball, I love football. Hockey is probably to me the best spectator sport. I think yeah. it's the best spectator sport, especially if you go see a game here in Chicago. Yeah, you know, or like or like uh, Madison Square Garden, the Rangers. Yeah, it's hockey. It's, it's it's a great sport. I love it. It was definitely it was definitely it was definitely faster right. than baseball. Like it definitely like you know it wasn't as didn't like yeah. slow down as much as you know. So it's that was cool. fast, man. It's very fast. I definitely think it's probably the hardest sport to officiate. Mm. Um, oh, I bet. The referees. I mean, I, I try. I tried it when I was uh, my sixteen. I stepped in there. They were missing a ref. I was at the rink one day, and I said, "You want a ref? I was never ref before." And it's, you think, you, you can think, oh, yeah, no problem. I'm playing. I know the game. But it's totally different playing and roughing. I mean, you can miss things like that. And mm-hmm. they'll get on your ass. I mean, it's 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 tough to be a ref, you know. Those guys got a hard job. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a great sport. You know, I love wow. love playing. I have played in a long time. Yeah, yeah. So I must imagine, like, must, most of the kids, like, in the movie, they must have just been, like, locals, right? Just, like, they just put out a call for, like, local kids in that part of Georgia kind of thing? Oh, probably, yeah, like the extras. and Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, usually, yeah, they do that stuff local. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. an extra. I was an extra in, a, in another movie. Oh, really? Um, was it before that? I was in, uh, I don't know if you remember this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe you will. The Toughest Man in the World with Mr. T and Hulk Hogan. Wait a second! Wait that a second! A bell. You were in a you were in a movie with Hulk Hogan and Mr. I was T? an extra. I was an extra. Oh my god! Because yeah. it was filmed here in Chicago. This is... filmed, I don't know if it was after Poison Ivy or if it was before. I can't remember. Um, what what's, but, yeah. what scene were you an extra in? What was going on? God, I I don't even remember. I really <laughs> don't. It was just a bunch of kids. Um, I remember it was two days work. Um, we sat around and listened to music half the time. Um, it was that an old. It was uh, the filming. I was at was the old. Um, it was the old private high school, Catholic high school, right in downtown. I forgot what it, what the building is now. It's a beautiful building. Um, I can't even remember the name what the high school used to be, but it's right there, right by in uh, 
right on the Gold Coast, like right by John Hancock, not far from there. Okay, that's awesome. Um, yeah, but um, I think I saw Mr. T once. I didn't meet him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I didn't. I don't think I saw Hulk Hogan on the set. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just because I think the movie is just you know it's like the toughest man in the world contest, and we were just like spectators. Right, right. Something well, like that, and that's all in the first. The first thing I ever did because mm-hmm. my dad tried acting when I was a little kid, and mm-hmm. um, I actually we uh, he auditioned for something that's commercial. We both did. It was a father and son commercial for a bank. Oh wow! And I got the part. I got the part, and he didn't. Um, and it's basically uh, the commercial was my father. Um, uh, I was giving my father my baseball cards to put in the safe deposit box. Oh my okay. gosh, that's awesome! Yeah, right yeah, on. That's yeah. really cool. I don't, I don't remember the bank. <laughs> I mean, this this had to be. I think I, I had to be like eight, seven or eight, something like that. Yeah. So. But yeah, I think that was just. Oh, and I, I think I auditioned. I auditioned for, for. Um, oh yeah, you get a kick out of this. I auditioned for two roles in Stand by Me. No what? kidding. Um, yeah, I auditioned for Corey Feldman's part and Jerry O'Connell's part. Wow. And I, I auditioned for the kid in that. Um. um what is that the famous horror movie? It's like one of the best horror movies of all time. Red uh, Rum. Oh, The Shining. Yeah. The Shining. Yes. I auditioned for The Shining. Holy cow. The Shining. And the kid in that one movie with Richard Pryor. And the toy. Jackie Gleason. Oh, I God, The Toy. Was it was The Boy. Yeah, I think yeah, I, yeah. I, I, but that was like that was like uh, open audition at like Toys R Us or something. Wow, so that was about it. Yeah, it was wow. like yeah, it was no big deal. Wow, that's awesome though. That's really but, exciting. yeah. That's that's the probably the extent of any acting. <laughs> that's still pretty impressive. No more after that. Yeah. So. When uh, when you filmed uh, Poison Ivy, were you a fan of uh, Facts of Life? Like, was it really amazing to see that next weekend? I was. I, I thought it was really cool that I was doing something like that with Nancy McKean and Michael J. Fox. I think yeah. at the time I was probably more of a Facts of Life fan than than Family Ties. Maybe I don't know. Maybe okay. it's probably because of the girl. It's probably because of the girls. <laughs> That'd probably be our reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, I wasn't too familiar with Richard Klein at okay. the time. You know, he's a real funny guy. But I did have a super huge crush on Karen Kay. Oh no way! Okay, uh, yeah, she was the, she, she was in My Tutor. Remember, she was in the movie okay. My Tutor. The really okay. hot guy. Yeah, 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 I remember I had a huge crush for years on Karen Kay. So that oh, was that's cool. great. That's her, great. Yeah. awesome. Nice. But she was really hot, man. What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. <sighs> Well, you know, thank you so much for creating something that just gave so much joy to my brother and I growing up. You know what I mean? And yeah, I just, that's, that's great, really man. awesome, you know? Really that's appreciate awesome it. to hear, man. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. And I really yeah. thank I you for appreciate. taking the time to sit down with us. I know it's I know it's late back there, and we really, really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah oh, it's no problem. No problem, man. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we definitely... Um, Look forward to this episode coming out pretty soon, hopefully. Uh, hope okay. you enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. I'll keep an eye out for it. So I will check out your show. I haven't seen it before. Yeah, well, uh-huh. we'll, we'll be sure to send you a link to it once it's up and posted. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you again, Matt. Have a great evening. You as well. You guys have a great holiday. Yeah. yeah Merry, you Christmas Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, man.
Thank you. Merry Christmas. Thanks, man. Take All care, right. guys. Right. Bye bye. Wow. Well, <laughs> that was awesome. That was, that was amazing. I'm glad we were able to make that work. We had a little bit of a hiccup last night um, and uh, tried to schedule actually for a little bit earlier today, but still made it happen. You know, I was feeling bad because I know he's in Chicago and it's it's now 1030 back there. But uh, man, he was a trooper. And my God, some of these stories that we got is so much more than I ever would have expected. Matthew, you're a real stand-up guy. Thank you so much for appearing on our podcast. We really enjoyed hearing some of the memories that you had about this movie. Yeah. Um, and I hope I hope some of our listeners, if you know, if you have seen the movie, I hope this has brought back some nice memories. If you haven't seen it, I hope it inspires you to maybe go out and try to check it out on YouTube. Yeah. Um, uh, links in the show notes. Uh, you know, you can always just search Poison Ivy 1985 on YouTube and find it, because otherwise you'll find the the 1992 movie. You don't want that one. i mean maybe you do but this is the one that you want for anything to make sense and and seb man thank you so much you did a great job just kind of asking questions i didn't want us kind of both jumping in there and and you did an absolutely bang up job well thank you man and thank you so much for doing all the technical stuff behind the scenes to make this all possible oh i'm i'm glad i was able to make it work i mean actually calling a, a phone through skype is something i've never done before so um uh, luckily, some of the folks in the uh, uh, the Bonsai Retro Club group on uh, on Twitter, shout outs to all you guys, were like, hey, you can totally do this. This is how you do it. Very helpful awesome. in that, and we really appreciate it, you guys. Great. Holy moly. Well, there you go. Well, hey. One chock-a-block episode. One huge, huge <laughs> episode. This is our longest episode ever, bar none but you know what it's one big merry christmas present to all of you out there ho 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 indeed Uh, oh seb what are we doing first thing in the new year well it looks like we're gonna have a new episode coming out yes about a certain topic (laughs) do not remember from our our childhood uh yes reenacting yeah we were both civil war reenactors when we were in was were you in high school as well or were you doing a, I, a little bit in junior high? No, no, I think it was like um, like ninety one to ninety four that we did it. Yeah, so basically my so, my entire high school experience. Yeah, it was it was kind of like the last half of junior high, first half of high school for yeah, me. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, so yeah. we were both Civil War reenactors. Strangely enough, we were brother versus brother. <laughs> I know, I know the war. Yeah, exactly. That's the best part about that. Well, I, I liked being lazy in my dress, and you were like, "I need to get into every little piece of accoutrement." But we'll talk about that in January. <laughs> oh man! And if you're still with us, thank you so much. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Memory Serves Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Blue Box UFO, and you can follow Seb. At Clan and McMuffin. I love it. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you consume podcasts. Just search If Memory Serves. We're also now on Spotify along with every other podcast on the Night of the Living Geeks Network. Please rate and review us as well. Whatever you think we deserve, although we do love the stars. Um, also, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and get everything that the NOTLG puts out at soundcloud.com slash the NOTLG. Also, be sure to check out notlg.spreadshirt.com and get yourself one of our sweet, sweet, rad uh, If Memory Serves shirts. 
Um, lastly, if you can contribute to us on Patreon, patreon.com slash NOTLG 2019, man, we're coming at you with some swag. We are going to have some levels and tiers and whatever else they talk to you about on Patreon. So get ready for that. Morgan Willis does our music. You can check him out on Facebook. Search up Morgan Willis. His name's all in caps. He's on Twitter at Morgan Willis 82. And you can also check him out on SoundCloud. Just search him up. Whew, that has been a marathon session of <laughs> podcasting. Uh, two weeks in the making and a really quick edit job. And we are going to get this out to you. Thank you for listening. Seb, thank you for all your efforts, especially your efforts to actually reach out and find these uh, actors and uh, score us our first interview. Man, that was amazing. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Well, folks, I hope you all have a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone. All right. And we will talk to you next time. That's right. Good night. So Disbro and uh, Disbro and Bobby get over to uh, Camp Chickawana, mm-hmm. which I love right. how Robert Klein says it. Camp Chickawana, Chicky Chickawana. Like, where is that coming from? <laughs> from genius, but clearly. <laughs> from brilliance, clearly. <laughs> <laughs>